Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi alongside me today. Nobody. Solo again. Although, to be fair, I didn't even give the Shark and Taylor a heads up that I was going to be conducting this interview with Zach Noble, which is terrific. We break down draft, uh, and we also actually double-dipped a couple of Zachs. We got Barnburner Bro, who's been an A1 Day 1 supporter of our program. He's been with the Chief. He pretty much helped launch the Barnburner Podcast Network. So we got a lot of draft talk, but just getting back to my original point, didn't even really text Taylor and the Shark uh, because this all happened a little bit uh, fast. I was trying to line up some interviews. They came down the shoot ASAP. And I said, look, I'm a busy man as well. I got a nine to five. Busy enough, too busy. The question is too busy to text my co-host potentially. And I might get raked over the coals for this. So I suppose I'll send out a sorry, but just me today. Just me today. We're brought to you by the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. Your college hooper of the week is Nick Fazekas, former big man for Nevada. You remember Nick Fazekas? He was a stud, absolute stud. Uh, in in I think that was I don't know if that was the West Coast Conference. Not sure, but Nick Fazekas was a beast there for the Wolfpack. One of the very first guys I feel like that laid the foundation for how good Nevada was going to be moving forward, and we've seen their teams with Musselman. Uh, Steve Alford's done a pretty nice job with them as well. And on the downswing of UNLV from the early nineties, I feel like we saw a, a slight upswing with Nevada, uh, the state of Nevada, certainly there for the taking between UNLV and, and Nevada Wolfpack, but Nick Fasikas, he is your college hooper of the week. We're brought to you by Royal Digital Marketing, a.k.a. RDM. RDM specializes in website development and digital marketing for small businesses and startups. So if you do need a website, make sure to contact them at colin at royaldigital.co. That's C-O-L-I-N at royaldigital.co. And of course, make sure to check out our website at theaterandcollegehoops.com. That's where we're going to post all of these episodes. You guys know the drill and all of our blogs. It's been a little slow. You know where to go, theaterandcollegehoops.com, and make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is, and make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Damel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. 
Let's open the curtains. double dipping here the rare dual interview okay doubled up on interviews doubled up on zach's more specifically zach spelled with no c just a k z-a-k first we welcome in zach noble to talk draft and then of course like i had mentioned at the top we got the barn burner bro i'm just glad i've had a little bit of a reprieve from from NBA, obviously the Celtics lose three straight to, to close out the season. And obviously the, the series they lost, I think it was on Thursday night and then they got a week. The front office has a week to lick their wounds and they're back in the war room for this upcoming Thursday for the draft. I think the only pick the Celtics have is 53, but that finals, man. And you know what? Hat tip, huge hug for my wife because she doesn't care about sports. She knows how much I love the Celtics, but this was almost a complete nightmare scenario for her. And let me explain to you why. Now, obviously the net series ended up a sweep four games to none, but then the Bucks and heat went seven. And then there was a potential for the Warriors Celtics to go seven. So that's, I mean, the Celtics pushed every series for the most part to the brink. And why it sucks for her is that they continued to advance. And so if they pushed game six to Sunday, and we all know how the NBA final schedules work, I think two to three days in between, man, that would have been a gauntlet for her because it was a gauntlet for me. That postseason run was exhausting. Hat tip to the Celtics. I love them. Love their roster. What a run. But they got beat by a better team. End of the day, the Warriors were just a better team. And I said that coming into the series. I was kind of shocked and appalled at some of the BPI index from ESPN and 538 saying that the Celtics, first of all, were favored to win the series, but by such a wide margin. I was seeing graphics, I think it was ESPN BPI, saying the Celtics had an 86% chance to win the series. I'm sitting back and I'm saying, do you not know who's on that warrior side? Do you not see Stephen Curry? Do you not see Clay Thompson? For as much as we make fun of him and for as much as people give him grief, Andrew Wiggins was an all-star this year. For as much as I hate him and for as much as I think he had 
lucky ass shots. Uh, Jordan Poole hit a lot of momentum shifting shots, back breaking shots. Right. So I was just, I was shocked at the amount of stats backing up the Celtics because I'd, I'd watched this team play. And at the end of the day, the Warriors hounded them on defense. The defense won the Warriors a title. Let's not get that twisted whatsoever. A lot of people were talking about the turnovers for the Celtics and how they're self-inflicted wounds. Yes, they played incredibly sloppy hoop. No doubt about it. But I didn't see one person crediting the Warriors' defense. They were swarming. Certainly on a lot of those drives from Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart, it seemed as if they were looking to draw contact or go to the line or just throw a blind pass, playing off of one foot. It didn't really seem like they had a plan when they drove the lane. But you have to credit the Warriors' defense because of how active their hands were. And another minor little detail that I felt like I noticed, and maybe it's maybe it's it's through a green lens where you just sort of think everything goes against you. I'm not here to uh, comment on the officiating. That's not what I'm about to do. But every tip ball, every 50-50 ball seemed to land right into the Warriors' lap or they went and got it, which led to transition runout breaks. Whereas whenever the Celtics got their hands on the ball on defense, it would still somehow end up in the Warriors' laps. Those are huge. You got to end. Look, if you're going to make a bad pass, if you're going to get the ball tipped, if you're going to have a 50 50 ball, you got to go get it and at least salvage what's left of the possession. And then in game six, the wheels just fell off. They didn't even give themselves a chance with any of these possessions. Okay. Now, what I will say, even though I, I, I think the Warriors were the better team, what I will say is that the Celtics fought every single time. And if they did play clean basketball, if they matched the Warriors' level of intensity, those last three games, they could have won those games. Think about it. They were getting smacked. They were down by as many as 22 in game six, and they cut it to eight or nine, which is still striking distance in the fourth quarter. But when you expend all that energy coming back, you know who's on the other side to put it to sleep. And he quite literally did that, Steph Curry. Remarkable performance from 30. He's always been stamped in my book. Weirdos on Twitter and talk shows will will talk about Steph Curry, but he's a legend. And I am 100% ready to go there and say that he's the greatest point guard of all time. Sorry, Magic. Witnessing Steph Curry has just been unbelievable. And when you watch him do that to your team, it sucks in the moment. But if you're a mature adult, you take a step back and you say, God damn, what do you do to stop this guy? And they did stop him in game five. They did stop him in game five, but again, the turnover screwed him. Andrew Wiggins had a really good game, sure. And even in game six, when the Warriors were going off, you look at the score, they they got like 80 points. Uh, they got 80 points. The Celtics' defense was actually terrific. It was their offense that did them in. And... You can't play that type of basketball against a, a veteran team like the Warriors. And I, I saw a lot of people too step in after game one when the Warriors melted down in the fourth quarter. I saw a lot of people too step in saying, oh, what, what happened to the narrative that the experience matters for the Warriors? Just like Novocaine, you had to give it some time. 
the experience did win out. Experience wins that game four when they're down five with six minutes to go. Okay. Inexperience allows the Celtics to jack up like four straight threes in that game four. So experience did play a critical role. Steph Curry played a critical role. Obviously, the Celtics could have played much better. A lot of turnovers. But the last point that I want to make on this final, I feel like I've just gone down a complete rabbit hole. We're supposed to be talking NBA draft. This is going to be a very NBA-centric show, as you can imagine. College basketball offseason draft upcoming. But I want to tell people to please pump the brakes on Jason Tatum and the hate that he got. Shut up. Shut up. For the love of God, shut up. He did not play his best but he was also not terrible. Okay. Now, is that what you need? Not terrible to beat the Warriors? No, you need great. And he wasn't. He'd tell you that. I think he set the record for most turnovers in a postseason. He didn't have a 40-plus game. But I'm so tired of people saying he's not him. He can't get it done. Do you know? Do you, do you idiots remember what he did in Game Six in Milwaukee facing elimination? Do you know what he did in Game Seven and in, in that Heat series? Even his Game One scoring wasn't that great, but he had eleven assists and they won. Now the last three games certainly room for improvement, absolutely. But and again, this is revisionist history. Unless Jalen Brown went off in those last couple games. If the Celtics ended up winning in seven, Jason Tatum's your finals MVP. You know that, right? The guy's 24 years old, led his team to the NBA finals, was a first-team All-NBA, defeated KD, defeated Giannis, of course, with the help of his teammates, defeated an all-world Jimmy Butler for that series, which pissed me off. But my God, man, the Tatum discourse is so absurd. He didn't play well the last three games. I'll give you that. And he he had to have been great for them to, to win. But is is this are the last three games of the season going to erase what he did over the course of this past season? And people forget, again, they're casuals. They forget that Jason Tatum's been doing this for like a year and a half, two years straight. Go back to the Olympics. He's been playing high-level competitive basketball without any sort of real break for that long of a time. He was absolutely gassed. He was absolutely tired. Is that an excuse? No, but it's a fact. Okay. He wasn't fresh and he played a ton of minutes in the postseason. Brad Stevens even said that Brad Stevens, I think in his outro presser, I suppose state of the union, he said, I told Jason to go on vacation, get away from basketball, get some rest. That's exactly what this team needs. Robert Williams gutted it out, and I feel terrible for Bob Williams, man. I hope his knee doesn't have irreparable damage or terrible damage going into the season because he gutted it out. And at time, I think Rob Williams is the one guy who gave it his all 110% of the time in that series, and it didn't come to fruition. So those are just some of my thoughts. Like I said, I, I, I really just got diarrhea of the mouth. But the NBA season is over. It's time now for the NBA draft and then summer league. So to break all that down, like I said, we have a really good friend of the program who does terrific work on his podcast. Check it out. 
Okay, check out the Noble and Roos show presented by Ball is Life uh, on Dash Radio and give them a follow. We got Zach Noble in the building. All right, we now welcome back to the show for a second time the host of the Noble and Roos show presented by Ball is Life on Dash Radio. Just a lover of all things NBA. It's Zach Noble. Zach, thank you so much for jumping back onto the program, man. How are you doing? The finals are over. I know you had some choice opinions about this postseason. Uh, is it nice to finally just get a little bit of a breather before we head into the draft on Thursday? Yeah, man. These uh, last couple of years seem like they've just been running together. And I finally think uh, we're getting a bit of a break here. I, I truly feel that way no matter what, if it's five days to the draft, 12 days to summer league 10. And if you put it in those terms, but it's like, we're not, we don't have hoops to watch every night. You don't have to be invested 24 seven watching replays and try to catch as many as possible. Cause I watch anybody and everybody. I just, I'm way too consumed in it, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's good to have a breather. And I mean, I'm, my late nights haven't stopped cause I got new babies at home. So it is what it is, but I'm excited for this draft. It'll re-energize um, fan bases and just re-energizes me. Absolutely. So first and foremost, before we get into the draft, which is obviously what the purpose of this particular episode is about and why we wanted to get you on. Congratulations. You've had quite a bit of uh, milestones here personally and, and, you know, in the sports world, obviously, Thank like you, you had mentioned, you, you welcome number three. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, two was, it, it was a big one and then three came along and we're, we're out here. <laughs> We're, hey, we're living. Basketball hasn't treated you too poorly either. Look, the Timberwolves had a nice run. We all know you're a huge T-Wolves fan. And then, of course, your alma mater, Kansas, cut down the nets. Yeah, no, it was a wild uh, pregnancy. And uh, we spent a lot of time in the hospital, so it gave us some good memories. I mean, we're both uh, Kansas alums. And uh, I got it, it started with Kansas winning a national title. And just as I was leaving, the Timberwolves had some success um, while I was in the hospital. So, it definitely brought some bright spots, some some dark days, you can say. Yeah, no, I mean, look, the 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 Kansas run wasn't necessarily um, surprising to a lot. They, I th- I thought they were the best team. Were they your pick all year? Uh, not in my bracket, but that's okay. only because I'm an Arizona guy, and whenever yep. Arizona's in the the field of sixty eight, I always pick them every single fair, time because fair. I can't I can't have that hanging over me that I didn't pick them. And if the one time they actually make it, uh, that would happen. But the Timberwolves were a ton of fun. I think they took a huge leap spearheaded by the former number one overall pick. And this is why drafts are obviously so important. Anthony Edwards, how much fun was it watching him grow and evolve and really take that next leap? Yeah, it was amazing. And especially that he just didn't like grab, he didn't force anything. It just all came natural. And um, just played within the game, and it was pretty amazing. Yeah, he still forces some shots here and there, and uh, but that's, I mean, that's just within a sloppy offense. I mean, he 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 adapts so well and picks his spots within just a cluster fuck, you can say. But I mean, it, it was awesome to see, and he's so talented. He's way more intelligent of a player than I could have ever imagined, and I I ended up believing in his two way ability a little bit. Uh, I'm not all the way there on his defense, but I can see it if he wants to be. And if we get a defensive one or three next to him, if Jaden's the three of the future, which I think he is, I think Ant can be a dang near positive on 
uh, defense 24-7 if he wants to be and maybe even higher. I think he takes pride in it. Um, a little Kermit in him will uh, flourish. And uh, I think that that gives him even more confidence starring in that movie and just I don't know. He's a, he's a guy that likes the limelight. So give give him everything and just boost that confidence to the moon because he's a guy that can handle it. You know, when we scheduled you, obviously, again, knowing that you're a huge T-Wolves fan, I, I tried to find two, two and a half hours to watch Hustle. Heck have yeah. not gotten around to it, but I, I, I know I need to, man. I need to. I've heard, I heard <clears> he put on, I mean, this is theater in college hoops, right? You got hoopers and actual theater. Right. I heard Anthony Edwards put on an absolute show and i saw a tweet they 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 nailed it they said you remember that interview when anthony edwards was like everything i do everything i pick up i'm good at right. that's what i feel like i mean the guy the guy's a renaissance man at this he point. hasn't he hasn't lost yet i mean it really hasn't i mean he's way ahead of schedule on everything so even his acting career uh but i mean i haven't seen him swim um in the olympics yet or anything like that but i mean i he's an athlete man he's an athlete is the scuttlebutt in Timberwolves community that this is Edwards's team now? It, a lot of people had to de facto default say it was Cats, but is it Anthony Edwards's team now? So Finch was just on the Rosillo show, and um, Rosillo asked him that question, of course. And it's it's a coach's job to play neutral and just be as Switzerland as possible. That's but, why I don't uh, have Finch on, man. I'm asking yeah. you, the fan. Yeah, so. The fan base is all in on Ant, yes. I mean, the fan base, I am all in on Ant. It's it's Ant's team in my mind, but Cat's still the best player. Um, I just hope it doesn't last long uh, because I've always said it, Cat can never be a number one, and I'm still convinced of that. And uh, I think Cat's definitely got a chance to be a number two. I'm not even sure he can be a number two on a championship team, but I think Cat's really in love with – being a franchise cornerstone and a big piece of the Minnesota Timberwolves. I mean, he's been through a lot and I think he likes the solidarity. I think he likes the family aspect of it. And um, I'm okay with uh, keeping him if we build around him properly. I'm not okay at keeping him with the roster we have currently uh, for the long term. But um, I just think if the offense can get a little more structured they can coexist. I think Cat's a guy that can fit with almost anybody as long as there's good defenders around him. But um, I'm just not sold it's there yet. I mean, they definitely haven't been able to play off each other fully in the way I'd like to yet. I mean, they're, it's, it's just I, – I called it from the beginning. I was dead right on my prediction. I was one of few. I was very happy about that. But, like, I just thought we were that talented. I thought Ant was going to take this leap. I believed in D'Lo more than most. Uh, you Adam Pat Beverly and Vanderbilt and um, even Jaden McDaniels took the leap I thought he was going to take but it, we just made it where we did off talent I, I strongly believe that Finch was a great coach uh, but I mean it's not like he's God like some people make him out to be he's no Nick Nurse yet uh, but I think he can get there he can get there but um, there's got to be a lot more structure and I I don't blame him for the pieces he had in play we'll put it that way we got to we got to be more intelligent too. Yeah. Well, I think that was the biggest indictment or the biggest thing that a lot of people were saying. Look, as a Celtics fan, I don't know if I necessarily I can talk about intelligence, not turning the ball over, playing erratic. We all saw what they did in the NBA Finals, but yeah, that series against Memphis, I think a lot of people said these are two young teams 
who's going to make the the less amount of mistakes? Right. That's yeah, probably no, it was win. pretty hilarious. I mean, it's just like looked like junior high basketball was just the best athletes in the world at the time. But I mean, it, it's fun because there's such good athletes and John Ant and um, Cat can go off on a clinic and same with Jaron Jackson Jr. But I mean, same time, it just gets ridiculous watching at times like who's going to mess up the least. <laughs> What's always you, you, so fun. Yeah, no, you're right. What's always so fun though about the draft process is look, we're sitting here now. I don't know. I don't even know how many years Anth- or cats in been in the league. Seven. Seven, Seven years. Right. And it feels like it's flown, but at the same time, you've been talking about all those trials and tribulations. He's been, he's made the, the postseason a couple times now, obviously the whole Jimmy Butler thing, but what's fun about the draft is, you know, you try and foresee in four to five years, is this player going to elevate us? Right. And there's mm-hmm. so much optimism around cat and there's so much optimism around Anthony Edwards when he got drafted, let's shift to this year. And I want to get your thoughts and feedback on some of these players that might ignite a spark, because I do think for some of these lottery teams, the goal in the very short term, maybe not even just one year in, but two, three years in, you need to be competing for that play-in spot right that six no one's asking the the Orlando Magic to win the East in two years time I don't think that's feasible but once you start accumulating these wins and being competitive who are some of these players in this draft that can do that and like you said there's no rest for for the NBA right there's no rest for the weary I don't even know if the confetti's been cleaned up totally from the streets (laughs) of San Francisco so we got the draft Clay's still doing snow angels in them that's for sure Man, Clay, Clay, and Steph. I don't know if the alcohol's left their body, deservedly so. I'm happy. No, I'm, I'm happy. I love seeing it. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they look like they really enjoyed, enjoyed the parade. And like I said, four is incredible. But before we actually dive into the the, the players, do you? Let me ask you this: Do you turn off Twitter alerts because you know Shams and and Woj are breaking that news before uh, Silver comes on the screen? So. I yes and no. I mean, I always have them going, but like, I definitely don't pay attention to them fully during the draft. Um, I just, especially during the first few picks. Um, and then once more trades start coming out and then it's like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta pay attention. Cause once one trade happens, you just feel like it's a, just a vortex of trades coming out. Just stuck. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So and it's crazy. The rumors flying around right now. I mean, they're doing spaces and all these insiders are pretty involved and they're just stirring the pot like no other, like with the, with the Twitter spheres. So, I mean, it's kind of fun, but at the same time, if nothing happens, it's super lame that we just wasted all this time. But it is fun for the anticipation, man. I mean, everyone's the trade machines going wild. And I love, I look, there's fan bases that are, more guilty of it than others. I don't know if t- first one that comes to mind is Lakers who are like, let's oh, trade yeah. Russell Westbrook for, uh, you know, like a you got one of the worst contracts and <laughs> annoying players. Yeah. You're going to be busy. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you this first off the bat, who's a player. I mean, we talked about teams just now about how we want to see the thunder and the magic. And we saw it with the wolves actually within what, two, three years time of Anthony Edwards, you're in that seven slot. Who is a player in your mind in this draft that can sh- really shift a culture and contribute to getting these teams from like 15, 20 wins to 50? You're not, maybe not 50, excuse me, maybe like low 40s. So, 
I mean, that's a huge jump, but the, those players are there because, I mean, if you, you, you think about this, you got to think about the players that are existing on that team. So it's a player that basically gets them over the top like that. And that's going to, I'm not saying there's like a franchise altering player in this draft. I don't think there's uh Kate or um, a Luca or a LeBron, those types. I mean, but like, there's four guys that are very, very worthy of being the number one pick in my estimation. This is the toughest top four I've ever had um, when taking this evaluation process seriously and making a serious board, in my opinion. Um, and I, I mean, mine's a little not as uh, chalk as most, I guess. I mean, I got Chet four right now and uh, Jade and Ivy three. But uh, with that said, I do think the first, the top three are pretty solidified where they're going. Like I would put a lot of money right now that the top three is going to go Jabari, Chet, Paolo. Like I just believe that. I mean, you hear rumors because teams just like to um, try to hopefully develop a trade like a Philly, Boston they did in the past. And Jalen Green last year, all that smoke. No, none of it was ever real. They were always going to take Cade. We always knew they were going to take Cade. And that's just like the prime example of it. Uh, but yeah, you'd love to develop a Luca Trey Young type trade like that. Um, so for me, thinking about like those three fits and then four is where it gets a little messy. Um, so I personally think Paolo, I mean, if he can be a, a pretty dang good defender, he could be that guy in Houston that gets him there because I believe in Jalen Green and Sangoon a lot. Um, and I'm not out on KPJ yet, even though his personality issues. They're there, um, and uh, there's been a lot of rumors that Houston might be ready to move on from him. Like, I just – I think if those three guys and then you add in Paolo turn out to be something and Tate's that defensive guy that they can rely on at the three, I think they're, they're a team that has the foundation, the pieces, throwing Josh Christopher, um, get K.J. Martin to stick around, Garrison Matthews. Like, they have the pieces that fit really nicely if – you can get a second or third defender with Paolo there. So then outside of that, like I don't believe in Orlando. Jabari's going to be the guy that gets Orlando over the top because I don't really believe in the other guys enough yet. I mean, if Jonathan Isaac was healthy and flourishing, sure. But, I mean, <laughs> Cole Anthony's way too inconsistent. I still believe in Suggs, and it's just he hasn't shown anything yet. So I'm not going to say that gets him over the top. But he's a perfect complimenting piece. But Chet Holmgren. I'm a huge SGA guy. I've always been. Uh, I think if he has like a piece like Chet, if Chet's as good as people think he can be, and he say Chet reaches a ceiling, um, and Jaden, I mean, not Jaden, but Shay and uh, Giddy find a way to fit, which I'm not so sold on that fit yet. Um, they might be just a small piece away there. Like they have three cornerstones that in their own right, yes, they can definitely be that guy for a franchise, but it's like you got to find the pieces that fit. So really right now with the way things are looking, I mean, I think the best chance is for whoever, if Jaden goes forward, I think Detroit's going to try to trade up. I think Jaden, Cade, and I mean, whoever else, Sadiq Bay. I'm a huge Sadiq Bay guy. I think they're close. I mean, if those guys turn out to their ceiling. So other than that, man, it's really hard to find a team that's going to get over the top with that draft pick. So 
my money, if I had to pick right now one player to do it, it'd be Paolo. I'm with you. I think Paolo is the best player in the draft. Yep. When I was watching him at Duke, man, and he had a sensational run mm-hmm. to the final four. I feel like people are truly undervaluing mm-hmm. what Paolo did because the storyline ended up being Carolina taking down Duke rightfully so, but Paolo was terrific. He was marvelous in the ACC tournament as well. And he was awesome all regular season. I think if you actually watch the games, maybe he didn't have some of those game winning shots or, or layups because K I mean, the guy's a legend. Look, who am I to just rock solid, man? He did, but like, he, he, he just never got him the ball in those clutch situations, yeah. which I think is a failure on the coaching staff. Right. But Paolo, when I see him has this incredible mix of bully ball power, his strength is amazing. And then he's got such a st- sweet, smooth stroke as well. He just, he seems like he fits the modern game. But when I look at OKC, they're the one team in this lottery And obviously we know about the draft capital that they've accumulated, but they're the one guy that has a proven leader who can play well in SGA. These other Mm -hmm. guys, I feel like it's going to take one of their lottery picks or maybe a couple of their lottery picks over the past couple of years to like take them. And that's tough to ask of a one, two year player. SGA can do that. If the rest of these talented players fall in line, Josh Giddy had a pretty solid year too. Yeah, no, he's the best talent of those four teams for sure, which is crazy to think about. I mean, it, the competition is Cade Cunningham and then Sacramento with Fox and Sabonis. But I'm taking SGA over both all three of those guys for sure. Uh, right? Would you agree to that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he's on the cusp of being an all-star. Yeah, no, I think he would be an all-star if, I mean, Chris Paul was still around or he was in a different situation. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely that good of a player just isn't on the team. So I call this guy, the taco bell guy. And this is because of Nikola Jokic, which if you really take a step back and think about it, one of the top 75 players of all time was drafted during a damn taco bell commercial in the second round. It's such a funny clip. Is there a guy that's projected to go in the second round? Maybe not even as late as 45 or 46, whatever yoke was. Is there someone that you have an eye on that, look, he's, I'm not asking him to be a top 75 player of all time, two-time MVP, but is there someone there lurking in the weeds that you think can contribute and be a good ball player that we're not noticing? I mean, Jovic, I mean, really is that guy that could fall late and just really blossom over time if given the opportunity. But for me, I mean, a realistic guy that's going to for sure get playing time and a chance to thrive in the NBA. Um, I'm not saying he's got all-star potential. I don't know if there there really isn't. Obviously, that guy's really hard to pick out because if if he was easy to pick out and you see this guy with that much potential, you're probably going to take a flyer on him in the 20s or even like 13 to 15, like Michael Porter Jr. falling like that. I mean, people didn't necessarily see that in Jokic. I mean, and it takes an opportunity and he's a stash. But with that said... I mean, I'm putting you on the spot here, Z. I'm sorry, man. No, no. <laughs> I, I get asked this all the time, and it's it's like uh, it's just hard to say. There's there's a Jokic, but guys with the highest upside that could actually follow the second round for me, it's like a Bryce McGowan's number one would be Christian Braun. I mean, he's my guy, but like I think Christian is one of like five guys in this draft. No matter where they go, they're going to be a good NBA player. No matter what their opportunity is. I think he's a dog. He's got an all-around game. He's going to be a good defender. But, like, 
I think if you get, he finds a way to get 25, 30 minutes in a game, I mean, shit, man, he can be a Tyler hero, if not better. I mean, I really believe that in him and he's, it's, I'm a mentality guy and he's, a, he's as doggy and uh, confident as a player gets. Like he's going to grab the opportunity when he gets it, but Jalen Williams from Santa Clara, I don't think he's going to drop to the second round, but he'd be another one that I think he has the overall game where, yeah, I mean, he would have a really high upside. His stock's been rising, huh? Right. Yeah, I think he's going to be in the lottery almost. Is that right? I mean, you wouldn't be surprised because, look, I remember seeing him in the West Coast Conference Tournament, and he showed out, right? Everyone always just looked straight at Gonzaga, and even St. Mary's was really good. But he put on for Santa Clara, and his stock has gone straight upward. He must have had an amazing combine. Yeah, no, he did. It was was great. So uh, these are a lot of good names that, you know, I think people need to become – more familiar with even the Bryce McGowan's. I think he's from out of UNLV. I'm not he a Bryce McGowan's good. guy though. I mean, there's, he there's was good people. at UNLV though. Much better than Nebraska. I, th- uh, I think, Oh no, you know what? I'm, I'm thinking of someone else from UNLV. I'm sorry. Okay, I, I, okay. I, I'm, see, I mixed that up. That's my fault. No, I, somebody told me this comparison. And once you get a comparison in your head that you think like, Oh, that could actually be real. Cause a lot of the comparisons are just bullshit. And, I'm not much of a comparison person in general, but when you actually see a comparison and it's a shitty one, um, then it's like, oh, it's so hard to get that out of your head. And for me, uh, Bryce McGowan's Ricky Davis. Somebody told me that, and I'm like, yeah, he's a second-round guy. I mean, Ricky Davis in today's NBA, I mean, sure, he's he's a bucket. J.R. JR Smith would be way better because he's got much more efficient three ball, but yeah. um, yeah, he's just a chucker. He's not a winning basketball player. And, um, he, yeah, I mean, if he found a way to be a winning basketball player, yeah, he's got the tools. He's got an overall game, sure. But um, I think it's a mentality thing with him, too, that I question. Absolutely. So I was thinking of Bryce Hamilton. From Bryce UNL, Hamilton, who, okay. Who actually, I, think I don't know him back. that well. I think he might be a super senior now, but here's the deal, man. I mean, I've, I've burned the midnight oil watching these West coast conference games and, and, these, <laughs> and these mountain West games. And you see some really talented players out there. And that's why when looking at Jalen Williams, I was like, yeah, look, everyone thought about Chet, but there's another good player out there. You know, he's not on Chet's level, but he's a hell of a player. So Zach, you actually in passing mentioned Jovich. Um, and there's Dyson Daniels, who a lot of people have been talking about. And we we've now gotten to a point where it's not that crazy to see these international studs get picked early and also contribute. Now well, you're seeing the best in the league right now. That's right. I mean, Giannis, <laughs> Jokic, Luca, you're absolutely right. And I'll tell you what, Zach, I, this is a bit, a bit of a, a shameful thing for me to admit. And I use this term loosely. I know it has a very negative connotation, which is it should. I was a basketball xenophobe at one point, man, where I was like, <laughs> man, I don't need to see these grainy, this grainy footage of some 18 year old going up against guys that, I mean, this doesn't move me. This doesn't, this, is this going to translate? But then, you know, once I saw Luca, Luca was the end all be all. We had really terrific international players before that, but I remember I was steadfast. And again, as an Arizona guy, I was like, no, take Aiden, take Aiden, take Aiden. (laughs) At least you can admit it. At least you can admit it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, I have to call it as I see it, but now with all these international players, not only getting picked, but, 
succeeding at such a high level. Who are some of the international players on your draft board that we should be on the lookout for? So I'm not as high on this international class as, as some are. I mean, I don't, dang, I, I probably have one take them till like 17 at the earliest, to be honest. And like Kevin O'Connor has a number nine on his board. And um, I've seen him even like up to seven, I think with somebody else, but. Who's that Dyson? Uh, uh, no, no, Dyson is really high too uh, for a lot of people, but um, Osman Dang. Oh, okay. From New Zealand. I mean, yes, I believe in his defense. He's, he can be great there and as a ball handler, playmaker, but like that shot's ugly. And I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to be a scorer by any means. And I mean, Dante X him all over again. <laughs> it's like, come on. Uh, I'm not saying that's, that's necessarily him because I mean, I don't think he's going to be a point guard necessarily. I think he's more of a wing, maybe Evan Turner. Uh, but yeah, Evan Turner, that's, that's a ceiling. You're not taking him very early. Are you? Not for me. He he, um, he certainly wasn't number two overall pick, which is what Evan Turner was, right? Right, and that was a bad number two pick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he had a decent career. It was semi long, but um, that's and that's you can always throw in like the Andrew Wiggins debate. I mean, solid pro, but like Andrew Wiggins isn't a bust. I mean, people just had way too high of expectations for him, and he's only getting better. Uh, and you know how hard it is to turn out to be a worthy, like the number three pick history is way better than the number one pick. So, I mean, to get the number one pick right is, is not that easy. Um, this is the first time, like I said, since like, I don't know, 2014 that I've, I've had a tough time, like picking who number one is, but like, I'm, I'm pretty confident in Paulo. I like, I just, for me, it's ceiling and floor. The ceiling matches everybody else, but the floor gives them the edge. And I mean, it's, the ball handling, the passing. He might literally be the best passer in this first 15, 17 picks. I mean, sure, you can argue a couple others um, that might go later as equal passers or whatnot, but I love Paula's vision. Um, other than that, I mean, Jovic, man, I think he's he's good, uh, but I think he's really raw. Um, I And to be honest, like, from what I've seen, I'm not like, I'm not sold, you know, at the end of the day, like when you get past like pick 13, it, it's all about opportunity. I mean, is this guy going to get an opportunity? If you told me he was, yeah, I'd believe in him quite a bit more. Uh, but where he's going, um, I just, I think he's going to be really intelligent. I think he's going to be a playmaker. He's, he's the, the European type and he's big and that, that matters, but um, I need to see the shot more on an NBA level. And that's once I see that in a couple of games, yeah, I'll start believing in him quite a bit more. The one international guy I really like um, more than probably most is Ishmael. Um, I, I always botch his last name, but um, I, I think he could be really good. Um, Kamagate, I think. Um, shot blocking. I think he's got great touch, great feel. Um, and I, I liked him in the international games, uh, what have you, but, um, it, it's just, it's in the second round, I, I drew over him past like 35. I think he's an awesome second round type guy, but, um, again, I want guys that can shoot, you know, shooting is at a premium and he's still, his body's got to fill out yet too, to be the yeah. guy that he is. 
Yeah. I think that's the consensus, not only in front offices, but it's not difficult to see. You need shooting. You need shooting to be successful in this league and make deep postseason runs. Obviously, look, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, they're not a fair comp, but even some other teams, you need shooting to to excel. So very curious to see what this international class looks like and all the international classes moving forward. Now, what what is it next year, uh, Wimbaya? Yeah, that, that's when it's game over. <laughs> like people are already jockeying for positions, and that's why you see teams like willing to trade back. I think because they like to try to get a next year's pick. But everybody knows what everybody's trying to do, and he's he's been that dude for two, three years now. So it'll be interesting if anybody does give up a pick. But you only got if you get the number one pick, you only get a fourteen percent chance to land that guy, and the chance you get a number one pick, it's like to schedule that this time of the year, uh, we're going to tank all the way. Let's tell our team, tell our players. Yeah, that's a tough sell. Well, it's. It, I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like we do see some of the same teams in the lottery, right. but we kind of just lose this thought or we, we, we lose in history where when these guys actually choose number one overall. I mean, yeah. with the exception of the Cavs, who seem to always get the number one overall pick, right? The Magic, they're usually they've been in the lottery quite quite often here recently, but what this is their first number one overall pick since since Shaq, right? Yeah, you know, uh Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard, sorry. Yeah, Dwight, Dwight Howard. Howard's number one, yeah. Yeah. But I mean it's been but a while. What was that? Oh four? Seven I think yeah, oh five is my guess. I think it's oh five. But uh, that's a long-ass time, 17 years, 18 years, and uh, it's not the best draft to have the number one pick. But, hey, you get your choice. You get your poison. Um, Just the Chet Jalen Suggs thing, it's just crazy that we haven't heard more. You know, it's like that connection should be much more prevalent. People should be talking about it all the time, and – those yeah. are your guys, man. Those are your Minnesota I'd, boys. I'd love it, man. It'd be fun, and I'd, I'd love to see that. I think it boosts both their confidence, but Chet's made it clear he wants OKC, and I don't blame him. I think uh, he's worried about in case they bring back Mo Bamba, Jonathan Isaac getting in my way, but I get it. I mean, you're. I tell everybody, and it's, it's not necessarily Chet. It's just him being a submissive to his agent. His agent's knows what the smart play is. It is definitely OKC. There's no competition. He's There's no expectation for winning and necessarily success, but it's easy to have success. You can put up great statistics and lose by 20 every game for the next two, three years. It's fine. And you still get the bag in year two or three. So if I'm his agent, I'm telling him the same thing, but Chet's a smart guy and he's just listening to a guy with a lot of his experience. His agent's been around the game quite a long time. That's right. That's right. So I'm glad you brought up the magic and you brought up the magic a little bit earlier in at the top of this program. When I look at this team, I just feel like they have to hit and and start accumulating Mm -hmm. some wins here soon. And I kind of feel that way, actually, to potentially disagree with you. I kind of feel that way about OKC because I don't know if you want to piss off SGA because he's ready to win. I mean, he's good enough where, where he knows, like, look, I'm good enough. I want to start winning. I can't. I can't be tanking much, much longer, just losing games. But I think they have a culture where they can do that. And OKC fans 
have experienced a lot of recent success, even going so far back as to not so far back, but going back to CP three, where they made the second round. And I look at some of these lottery teams and the magic are just the one team where, yeah, they made the postseason in the bubble. If you can, people, people wouldn't believe you, but yeah, they were the eight seed got dusted up by the bucks, but that was the Steve Clifford last year. I think Vooch and, and Aaron Gordon before they completely blew it up. But I don't know, being that eight seed for one season or two straight seasons, I think they lost to the Raptors before that. And now they've endured some really bad losing seasons. Am I crazy in thinking that the Magic need to, they they got to hit more so than maybe some of these other teams in the lottery? I'd, I'd say OKC, it, it would be have the most pressure period. I mean, you have 14 picks in five years. You can't roster all these guys. You, and like you said, I've been I've been saying this about Shea forever. Like the dude made the playoffs. He went 48 and 34 his rookie year, and he was a big part of that team. And then he saw like the atmosphere in OKC with Chris Paul, and uh, maybe maybe he didn't see the atmosphere. I mean, maybe that was a bubble was year. The but, year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I got I saw follow you though. But he understood. I mean, the pressure, and whatnot, and the fun of it, but. Um, so he's gotten a taste of winning, okay? And uh, that's two out of four years. And uh, you would think that would matter to him. I mean, he's good enough. And a dude like that, I mean, he's pretty flamboyant. He's pretty out there. Like, you would think he'd want to accumulate some all-star appearances, and it takes winning to do that a little bit. So um, I got my OKC friends. Oh, he's okay. He can relax for another two to three years. I'm like... I'd start trying to put some winning pieces around him right now. I really would. I think, like I said, and you agreed that top four teams, he's the best asset of all of them. So you got to, the NBA, these guys change their mind from day to day to month to month. So I'm not a huge fan of tanking, especially OKC has the picks. Go all in and just start bringing in some winning players. Like you have the picks that aren't necessarily yours either. They're on a couple tanking teams, so hopefully one of those gets a high pick. Uh, but, yeah, I'd try to move up. Like, I really thought there's a chance they could get two top seven guys right here. I like the top 12 to 15, and you could have two really, really good longtime players, depending on who you bring in. You could almost have your starting five of the future if you play your cards right here. And if Sacramento really doesn't want Jaden Ivey at number four, go get him. Go get him. Give me freaking – Shea, SGA, Ivy, and get really weird and then trade one of them off. Uh, because I think Ivy's that good of an asset. Yeah, I, I think they got to do it. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Jaden Ivy because he was another very, very intriguing prospect here. Because in my estimation, I think he's got the biggest boom, but also potentially the biggest mm. bust potential in the sense that, I mean, we could see him excel into the stratosphere. <laughs> or we can just see him kind of end up being a role player. I don't know why the the comp and this feel free to keep me honest here. I want your honest opinion. I don't know why the first thing that came to mind was potentially Chris Dunn, who was electric at Providence College. <laughs> I haven't I heard that one yet. Yeah, man. I don't know. Like God, damn it. tell me a little bit about Jaden Ivy and where you stand on him. I, I love the nickname the Baja Burst. I just think he's got it and uh I think he's got the personality. I think he, at the end of the day, it's a shot. And I mean, 
36 percent i mean not huge volume or anything but the thing that i mean if you tell me the reason why you don't believe in Jaden ivy is no mid-range game no pull-up great i'm okay with that because that matters that's huge especially for a guy his size and a guy you think has a chance to be a point guard he doesn't need to be a point guard to reach his ceiling he can be the two i mean i think he can be electric either way uh but yeah i mean if he's not going to be the one, his shot's going to be a lot more important. Uh, he's going to need to find a way to get to 37, 38%. But um, yeah, I just think outside of that, I think he has everything else. I mean, but yeah, that that mid-range game is really concerning. Like it just doesn't exist. I mean, it's not, not, not there. So uh, maybe it's the offense Purdue is in. Uh, maybe... Maybe it was the players he was playing with, but I mean, the percentages aren't great either. So um, yeah, that's a little bit concerning, but I just think with that athleticism, that mentality, the ball handling's very, very good. Um, Yeah, I I think he's going to, there's a really, really high chance he's going to be great. Taking a step back, right? and, And not necessarily breaking down film, and looking at the box scores, things like that, and it, advanced metrics. Like I said, taking a step back and, dare I say, putting my NBA Twitter hat on, that this boy's nice <laughs> hat on, just watching Jaden Ivey is an experience. He is right. so much fun. He is so electric. When he gets downhill, man, and, I mean, you know, like he he's not the biggest guy on the court, but he might just take it from his hip and throw it down on you. Just taking a step back, I hope he he provides some of that in the NBA because he's certainly capable of it. And I was lucky enough to actually watch him in their final game of the season against St. Peter's in Philadelphia. Watching him was an experience, man. Jaden Ivey is just, I think he's the most electric player in this draft just in terms of highlight reel potential, which, you know what, as a fan consuming the game, I care about that shit too. Yeah, no, it matters and see. Sacramento needs to sell tickets. I mean, it's not like they're towards the top of the charts. I mean, Indiana needs to sell tickets. I mean, they're supposed to be like a state of basketball or something, and they were towards the bottom in attendance. I don't care how good your team was. It's not like you got a baseball team and every sport you can think of. I mean, you got the fever in the Colts. I mean, that's what it is. No hockey team either. So uh, people be, should be showing up. But, like, I think Indiana's really going to – do everything they can to get them. Detroit, uh, Sacramento should take them, even though there's been rumors he doesn't want to go there. But I'd say still take them and trade them. I mean, don't don't take Keegan Murray over him. Uh, but yeah, I mean that burst, that athleticism, that first step. I mean, I think he can just play within a pick and roll offense. I mean, he can be really fluid off ball. I think his catch and shoot game is going to be fine. I'm I'm not worried about the mid range yet. I mean, that's one of those things like, um, who was I saying earlier that, Oh, talking about the international guys and their shot. I mean, this is a terrible guy, a terrible class for international shooters where Jay Nivey, I mean, if he comes in and the mid range isn't really working much in the NBA where you can get it pretty easily in the space. I mean, then I would be, I could be worried pretty quickly, even though I'm never worried on rookies. Like Jalen Suggs was pretty terrible all year, and I'm not worried about him yet. Uh, I give it, I give all rookies a pass, and that's just kind of how I operate, and it's worked out for me. But um, I just want to see flashes, you know, like 
Jalen Green gave me 20 games of flashes, and I'm all freaking in. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm totally with you, and I feel like we are in lockstep because I'm going to get to a player that you just mentioned you wouldn't take over Jaden Ivey, but it should be noted, Pacers fans, half the fan base – they, they were appeased when Victor Oladipo played some of his best years there. Obviously, they didn't draft him, but they acquired a Hoosier. And now the other half might be able to get appeased by getting a Boilermaker. <laughs> right. I'm sure I'm sure Pacers fans are comprised of both Boilers and, and Hoosiers. So uh, I want to get to these three players here, starting with Keegan Murray. Can you sell me on Keegan Murray? Because I certainly am not sold. What aren't you sold about? Just everything? Just no, the upside? I mean, I think he's got a really high floor. Like, I think he's a guy that's going to come in. And be, I'm just not sold on his ceiling either. That's that's what I'm not sold on. That's why I have Keegan Murray right around eight. Um, let me see here. And I think that's fair. I think that's fair. That's, I'm just sorry, six, like six. I just okay. have Benedict Matherin above him. That's Thank it. You. Hey, I appreciate that as well, but I don't know. Keegan Murray, look, first of all, the age thing doesn't concern me terribly, but he is 22 years old. They just draft or the the Kings got a, a, an older player in Davion Mitchell last year, right? Keegan Murray, when I was watching him, the advanced metrics are crazy. I think he checks all of those boxes, but I don't know. I just don't know how his game's going to translate. He seems a little bit heavy footed. He seems a little slow to me when I was watching him at Iowa and in that Richmond game, I mean, he was obviously the best player for Iowa, but I don't know. I just, I, I don't cons- know if I see the the speed, uh, if he's able to match that. Go ahead. Sorry. Right. No, that's the biggest question mark. I mean, you're, you're getting into like really slow comps. I mean, you're seeing TJ Warren, Al, Al Horford's a terrible one. I just hate seeing that one. Somebody brought that up, but like um, the speed and the way he plays, two different things. I mean, but like he's got the feel for the game. He's polished. I'm a guy that values your college resume. And I mean, he's a late bloomer. The age isn't that old. He's only 21 and late. I mean, he's going to be 22 soon, but um, he's a guy, very few guys hustle nonstop in college. I mean, the dude's a grinder. I mean, and he had to carry an Iowa team and he did. Um, He's clutch. I think he's, I think he's got all, but yeah, I'm with you to question his speed for sure and his quickness. Um, he could be pretty bad on defense. I mean, could be like a Rudy Gay type, but a way better shot blocker type of thing. I mean, his instincts are there. His instincts are there. I mean, his his footwork can be there, but yeah, it, will it get to the spots? I mean, to play one-on-one defense, I mean, can he switch on – four and fives that's to be questioned I think he's can guard sorry sorry fives I mean he's gonna guard a lot of threes and fours absolutely uh but I don't know I mean his fit is in question if he's not gonna be a great defender and be able to switch on threes and twos as much as a lot of people would like so and I think this is the case with all fans and and when we're going through this evaluation the source of this isn't necessarily like Keegan Keegan Murray's a bad player. He's obviously a next level player. He's All very these good. guys, he's very good. But the the sort sort of source of inspiration for this concern or apprehension, I guess, is where he's slotted to be picked, right? So you have him at six, and I'm saying to myself, I feel like that's a little high. There's a couple other guys that I have this feeling about as well, where they're slotted, and that's AJ Griffin and Jeremy Sohan. 
any concerns with those guys or am I sort of a, a looney tune when it comes to those guys? Because let me, let me take a step back here. Jeremy Sohan, I feel like is a relatively one dimensional player. And so he could be a, a huge value add for, I think a contending team or a team on the cusp who brings great defense, great rebounding, but I don't know how much more I'm getting out of Jeremy Sohan. And then AJ Griffin, I just had a few questions because he did disappear a couple times in big games. And actually that's where Paolo sort of took over, but AJ Griffin for Duke, he was, he, he had a few spurts, but for majority of that final four run, I thought he disappeared a little bit. Can you sell me on those two guys, Sohan and AJ Griffin, for where they're slotted to be picked? No, I'm 100% with you on Sohan, and I could be sold a lot less. I have him at 14, and I mean, a lot, there's people that have him like seven even. Uh, but like, I don't believe in his offensive game at all, his mechanics. I mean, his hand is way too over here. I mean, it, it's weird. Uh, but yeah, he's a tremendous defender. I think he's going to be elite, I mean, right away. But like, that only gets you so far. Like you can get that guy 12 to 20, 24. Like I'm, I'm going for best available. I'm going for high upside. It's like, I'd rather have Terry Maxey than Herbert Jones, you know? And I mean, I think offense, that's fair. Offense is still more important than defense. And yes, defense is important, but you want guys that you can, you can develop that. in. I'm a guy that believes defense is one thing you can actually develop more than most. Oh yeah, that's something you can absolutely teach, uh, and and get into the trenches with. So I, I'm I'm with you on Sohan. I'm with you on on AJ so, Griffin. No, AJ Griffin though. On the other hand, I am way higher on him than most. Like, I think he okay. has an insane. I think he's got an all star ceiling. Um, I'm not worried about his injuries. He, like he hasn't even had surgery. Like people make such yeah. a big deal of his injuries. It's like maybe he's holding out and he'll have a surgery year one here before he even plays or something, but. I don't think that's going to happen. I think I'm pretty sold on like, he's fine. He like, it's not that bad. He's just missed a few games here and there. But um, the fact that when I found out he hasn't had a surgery, that blew my mind. Like everybody just makes a huge deal of his injuries. Like I'm okay. If you take AJ Griffin five in this draft, I really am. Like, I think he's that good. I think um, he's a, he could be the best shooter in this draft. I mean, gun to my head, I probably would say, I mean, it's him or Jabari. Yeah, um, I was gonna but, say, do you think he he has a chance of being a better shooter than Jabari? Big, absolutely, big, big absolutely. Loss. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, fading in Duke. I mean, who cares? He's a he's a freshman. I mean, I don't really, I don't really care. I mean, he was good enough in big moments at times that he had a couple. And I, it was it was a pretty. It wasn't. I thought Duke was pretty ISO heavy. I mean, I I didn't. I didn't think that it was a typical Duke team that shared the yeah. rock. And, um, uh, but I, I do recall him making some big corner threes. I mean, pulling up on a wing mid range and a couple of the games I can picture it, but maybe I'm just dreaming of it. I don't know. No, but, I think, so I think that was a lot of it was in the regular season, which is completely fair. And, and obviously again, he's a good player, but when I was looking at those, that, that Duke roster, right. The, the names that jumped out to me just, watching them play was Paolo, obviously Mark Williams, 
Even Trevor Keels coming off the bench had some high impact minutes. I just don't know if I necessarily saw that with AJ Griffin, but um, you know, this is good. I appreciate the discourse here, right? Because, you know, I feel like we were agreeing a little bit too much, but I'm, I'm, I'm always looking to see what am I missing with a guy like AJ Griffin? No, I think he's could be one of the most versatile scorers in, in the game. I mean, that's, it's a guy that, I mean, yeah, we can debate his, I mean, how many people he can defend, but I think he can be a really good um, defender on a couple positions. And I think he's a guy that can uh, switch most of it. I'm going to, I'm going to bank on him being that guy. It's just um, maybe speed quickness. I just, I see a guy closer to, I mean, uh, Jimmy Butler type, you know, I, I real with, with a way better shot, you know, uh, but never know. I'm not, I don't know much about his mentality. I, I really don't. He's, he's a guy that I, I need to learn more there. Um, I think he can be a little bit reserved kind of like Jalen Brown, but Jalen Brown's a, he's an internal beast, man. I mean, the second he stepped in that court, I mean, I was really high on him in college just cause I thought he had the overall game and the athleticism that was just sneaky and didn't show it that type of thing. Um, and just, just kind of like DeAndre Ayton. Like, I, I just still don't think he's shown his complete game, his entire package. And that's why I'm putting all my stock into DeAndre Ayton, and I'd max him out for sure. But there's guys like that. It just takes time to see what they're all about. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm totally with you. So I, I had mentioned Jaden Ivey as a very intriguing prospect. This isn't necessarily news, but for me personally, the most intriguing prospect is Shaden Sharp. Because of all we've heard and obviously being following college basketball and a program like Kentucky, you hear so much about Shaden Sharp. And then there's this, there's this back and forth of, is he going to play? He's suiting up. He's not going to play. And now a lot of people have him going top 10. I'm not going to sit here. This is another thing I love about this process, Zach, with guys like Shaden Sharp, because he's not a unique case. We've seen players not play for an entire year and then get drafted, or we've seen them stashed in the G League, something like that. And I love all these guys giving their expert opinions on him. I'm like, dude, we haven't seen him play in a year. Right, right? and I'm not saying he's going to be bad. I actually want to know your thoughts on Shade and Sharp because I don't know what to expect, man. Such a mystery box, and, I mean, we didn't get one game in college. I mean, Darius Garland, we had a couple. Kyrie Irving, we had a couple. Like, that matters. James Wiseman, we had enough. I mean – I don't care. It's still talent you're playing against. It's, I don't care if you're playing against Pac-12 or um, NAIA, you know, come on. Like we actually saw stuff outside of high school really. And um, yeah, this guy's a freak athlete. I think, I mean, the mechanics are there. It looks really good um, in a workout and whatnot, but I'm not, I just like the other guys enough to put them ahead of this guy and where I can risk it, but it's not like, where do you have him? I got him eight. Uh, but like, he's not in my tier two. Like, I'm okay with that. He's he's the first in my tier three. It's a small tier, so it's Shade and Ochai and Johnny Davis, eight, nine, ten for me. Um, that's my tier three. But like, um, if you had him tier two or really, I don't know, tier three by himself, I'm okay with any of that because I mean, yeah, he could end up being maybe the best player in this draft. I mean, he really could be the way, I mean, the way he's just looks, <laughs> yeah. I mean, his explosive and his athleticism, but I'm not going to take that chance. You know, I'm just not that 
I just believe in those other guys enough. Benedict Mathur, man, are you kidding me? He's just as bouncy, looks just as good, and he's got the dog. I mean, we've seen it. What a treat he was to watch as a Cats fan. Yeah, you're lucky. Hopefully, I, he can really I, I, put a name on Arizona for you guys. Where Where do you think he's going? I think he's going to Detroit right now, unless there's a trade. I think they'll take him at five, um, maybe six. I mean, he's going to go to five or six. I really believe that. Um, I think four, five, six is – I'm pretty set on there's three guys going there, and that's Jaden, Keegan, and Benedict. I just can't really say who's going where. Yeah, and I, I think Matherin is a beautiful example, and I'm not here to tell kids to – to make whatever decision. Uh, I'm not here to influence that. I'm not here to say this is a right decision. This is a wrong decision, but Benedict Matherin is a remarkable example of coming back for one more year. And your, your value is going to skyrocket. Another dude from Arizona that may be there late first round, even two guys, actually Coloco and Dale and Terry. Right. So that those three guys coming back for one more year, I think Matherin was the most NBA ready at the end of uh, the, the previous season. But I think he was in the 20s. Now, look at him. He's certainly a lottery pick. So Sell, uh, sell me on those funny. two guys. I mean, I've, I've had some people tell, tell me about their love affairs with these guys. And um, I, I get the, the floor and some of the skills they bring. I just, I think that, that like, the, the idea of these guys, could, there could be a, a ceiling there. But I don't believe in either of their ceilings. I really don't. Um, but, like, like, I look at them as seventh man tops types of players. But... Oh, yeah. And and I think that's fair, Zach. You're talking Coloco and Terry. Yes. Yeah. So like, Coloco I, is probably the best screener in the, the draft, possibly, but big deal. Yeah. <laughs> big, I mean, big yeah. deal. But he's a great rim protector. Uh, he can run the floor a little bit. He's He's got to put on weight. He's got to put right. even more strength on. Dalen Terry reminds me of a guy like PJ Tucker. You were going to get 110% effort Every single time. And it might be a lazy comp here also just fill it. Cause I saw him at a, uh, I, I saw him as a uh, slotted to, to potentially go to the warriors. Right. And it's hold, like hold is, bones Highland without the handle. Oh, he's got no, I don't know if he can shoot like bones either, man. I, like I love bones Highland. Like some of the, some of the bones Highland moves that he was doing in, in that series against the warriors. I mean, I, there was that one series, right in that one particular game yeah. might've been game four, maybe game three, the one that they lost when he went off for like nine straight points or yeah. something like that. No, I don't expect fantastic. that out of Dalen, but there it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. So, I mean, I'm going to get you out of here on some quick. You don't believe though. in a shot. I'm dropping him to 50. No, <laughs> I don't. Maybe, maybe from the corner. That's why I said PJ Tucker, man. I see, I've seen him hit a couple shots. Wow. He's, he's bringing intensity, hustle and defense. I don't know if I necessarily believe in Dalen's shot though. Yeah, that's all. Because, yeah, I believe in those other things. But, yeah, I mean, the, the shot at the end of the day is what's going to make me want. I mean, it's a better shot than Matisse Thibault, right? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, Matisse, Matisse Thibault, man. Woo, talk so about being local, a I, I've just I've just been so, – like, the reason why I can't really be all in on him, I just see Daniel Arturo without the shot so much. But <laughs> that's Arturo, funny. I always say never got his real shot in the league, so – no matter how high I was on him, I wasn't wrong. <laughs> That's another thing that I love about the draft process and lead up to the draft. You get some gem name drops, 
right. some gem name drops right there. Uh, hey, Zach, I'm going to get you out of here on a couple quick hitters, though. So another thing you mentioned earlier in the pod, which I'm very glad you did, for rookies, you said, I'm going to give them a year pass. Want to see some flashes, but even a guy like Jalen Suggs, who may not have shown that, and I think he was dealing with a broken hand part, part of the season as well. You said, I'm going to give him a pass because it is their rookie year. There's a ton of adjustment, pace yeah. of play, situation, things of that nature. The one thing I absolutely cannot stand, Zach, and I want to know if you're in the same boat as me, is the knee-jerk reactions to Summer League, man. Uh-huh. Do you remember? Do you remember last year, everyone was saying Cade Cunningham's cooked? And yeah, no, absolutely. Steph Curry Dude, I was terrible it, in man. summer league, and that, I always bring that up. I mean, when people say somebody was banned, Steph Curry was banned in summer league. I mean, I'd have to go. I got a list of um, in my documents of guys that were banned in summer league. There were some really all-time players that were, and yeah, don't give me that. I mean, freaking. But it's piece. it's it's just so insane. Like yeah, the summer no, league. The, I mean, there's so many bad players that are great and summer league i mean that's what that's the point your job is to try to make a roster like the best players play a game or two and then they don't play the rest yeah i like i i can sort of i, I still think it's ridiculous when people jump to conclusions after a year even two years right you would mention a guy like deandre ayton who's been in the league longer than two years but everyone's saying the book's written on him people were writing him off year one i mean this guy's terrible on defense i mean the lack there of effort and i mean he showed flashes at the end of his rookie year on defense. I mean, the more he got the ball, I mean, they weren't running anything for him. I mean, the dude just had to do it, do with what he could. And like, it was just a gradual process and it still is. And he's still it takes freaking time. amazing. Like, I think he's an anchor almost. And um, I just think he's excellent. I think he's very solidified at what he does. And I mean, he doesn't do it all yet, but I think he can. I think like, outside of being like a great playmaker and passer like Jokic, but I think he can be a good entry level. I mean, a lob threat, a dunker, dunk spot guy. I mean, yeah, I think he can make the small passes. Yeah, and and I think he averaged like 14 and 10 his rookie year. He was averaging a double-double his rookie year. If that's not enough flashes (laughs) without – Having the offense ran through you, give me a fucking break. Yeah, that, I'm with you, man. But I just remember the Cade discourse last year was so nauseating, yeah. especially because he put together a wonderful season that a lot of people were clamoring. Hey, you know what? Evan Mobley's terrific. Cade Cade had a had a real real argument for rookie of the year, and so Jalen Green, Josh Giddy, people, yeah. all these guys are terrible. Right? It's so 10, annoying. Ga- games in, come on. It's insane. Uh, so I just wanted to make that PSA and make sure that we were in lockstep on hating when people just jump to conclusions. It's a process, like man. And it's like, there's so much talent in the league and it's just getting better and better. I mean, it takes time. I mean, yeah. it, it's hard if you don't get an opportunity. Like, I always say, like, this is to cover my ass a little bit, but I mean, if, you don't, if your player doesn't get a real opportunity – like we're all we're all throwing darts here when it gets after like ten, even like eight sometimes doesn't get the actual opportunity. I mean, Mario Hazonia only got freaking seventeen minutes and he's the number five pick in a shitty situation in Orlando. Give me a break. He would have turned into Kobe. I swear to God. No, I just <laughs> hey man, he I, he I had that he had that dunk on Giannis and stepped over him. I think that might be the highlight of Hazonia's <laughs> exactly. career. 
That was I was the worth king the, pick the as king of New York. But <laughs> um, if you get one through five wrong, one through six, yeah, then you got issues. I mean, especially if you miss on the number one pick when it's pretty obvious. And this year, it's not that obvious. But uh, if you're if you don't have one through four, one through four right now, start questioning stuff. I mean, I I'll be shocked if I'm I'm wrong on the, on those guys. But um, yeah, I mean. It's when the guys start not getting opportunities. Uh, can't get too down on yourself, but if you hit on a couple late guys, hey, your your evaluations aren't too bad. Ripple effect here. Kyrie is at an impasse apparently <laughs> with Brooklyn. Shocking, I know, man. I was I was up in arms. I couldn't believe it either. Right. Kyrie's in, in pass. Apparently, Gordon Hayward, the Hornets are trying to trade him in two first-round picks. Do you see any ripple effects coming from those two situations or just any other trades? Uh, obviously, trades will happen on draft night, but anything of serious magnitude? Yeah, for me, I just it'd be really hard to see. I mean, a guy like Jimmy Butler got traded. There's been a couple here and there on draft night, but like um, – I don't see anybody of the Russell Westbrooks or um, Bradley Beal or, I mean, just for sure, like all-stars right now. I'm not saying Russell Westbrook's an all-star, but his contract's really impossible to move. But like, I see a Malcolm Brogdon for sure getting moved. Maybe Miles Turner. I mean, the biggest name could be Rudy Gobert. I don't think he's going to get traded right away, but uh Clint Capella, those those types of guys. I, I think there's going to be quite a bit of that. Uh, but I also see, I mean, like Sacramento, I'll be shocked if they don't move. I mean, good for them. If they take Jay and Ivy and just go, let's go, you're, you're coming home or else uh, we're going to get full value for you. But um, give, me, give me a shout at Victor next year maybe. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I do see guys coming into like 10 and 11 and, um, trying to open up space for other guys. It's going to be a lot of fun, man. I can't wait for draft night. This is some of the favorite times of year. I mean, there's a mm-hmm. time of year for every fan base, right? So yep. maybe it wasn't the postseason for for some of these lottery teams, obviously, but this is what they get hyped about, and obviously the the lottery show itself, which goes under in the postseason. But thank you so much, Zach, for jumping on and sharing your insight. This was terrific. Hey, actually, one thing we did add to the program since the last time you were on, we always close out our segments with what's called bring them up on stage. Okay, so oh this is where I I shamelessly tug on your on your collar and say, hey, Zach. Is there someone that you can recommend me reaching out to to get them onto the podcast and talk shop? Because we always enjoy having you on. You're a great guest. We're looking for someone in your circle that you might think would have fun coming on. Yeah, greatly appreciate you. This is fun. I mean, it's just chill and going back and forth. Good conversation as always. But um, I'd say reach out to my partner, Roosh. I mean, he's got a great following in Houston, and um, he'll always give it to you straight. I mean. You know, he knows his stuff and he'll question, he'll question the norm. I love it. Roosh Williams, man. You're, you're, you're next in my, uh, you're on the docket, buddy. DM train Zach Noble. Thank you so much again for jumping on. Enjoy the draft and enjoy the off season. Lord knows we need a little rest. All right. Absolutely. Stay in touch, man. Yes, we'll do. Thanks Zach. Yep. Later. All right. We want to thank Zach Noble for jumping onto the program. A lot of terrific feedback, a lot of great insight. 
The guy you can clearly tell studies, gets in the lab, knows his stuff. So I think we had him on last year during this time. It's awesome to get Zach Noble and, and his perspective on things. And like I said, he's he's had a great year personally and also as a sportsman. His, his Jayhawks won. His Timberwolves are building something special. And, of course, most importantly, uh, he's got a great family. So, Zach Noble, thank you so much for jumping onto the program. But real quick, I'm passing the ball now to Barnburner Bro. All right, we welcome back to the program a day one listener, honestly a man who helped lay the foundation of theater in college hoops and just a knowledgeable hoop head in general. We got Zach, a.k.a. Barnburner Bro, in today to join us and talk NBA draft. This really is one of the great times where our worlds collide. We know how much you study and watch the NBA, especially your beloved Memphis Grizzlies hat tip on a terrific season for them. And then, of course, college basketball, which is really where I, I spend majority of my, my time, 10 toes deep in there. And we have a little bit of a reprieve here, Zach, right? We we had the finals ending on Thursday. Yep. I don't know if the confetti is cleaned up there in the Bay Area, but we got a draft to prep for on Thursday, man. There's no uh, no rest for the weary. And you did fail to mention that both of us had to go through the the pain and suffering of falling to the Warriors this year. Yeah, I'll tell you what. A lot of people have been asking me, like, oh, how are you feeling? And I said it in the intro, Zach. I said, first of all, I didn't think we were the better team. But second of all, if I'm going to lose, I'd rather it be as a footnote to a dynasty, right? Like, I don't even know if Warriors fans in 10, 15 years' time will right away be able to tell you, who'd you win your fourth title against? And I'm just like ducking sitting yeah. in the weeds but man i mean what do you do what do you do there look you got I, I, i'm still kind of ducking because uh, uh, uh sort of what's come out of this is a little bit of a feud here a budding rivalry perchance I, I don't know if rivalry is a fair term for this considering i mean in all honesty memphis hasn't won anything i feel like it has i mean we knocked him out of the play-in game last year but that doesn't really say a whole lot uh but it's it's fun. I mean, the NBA's got a lot of drama, and that's just kind of part of the soap opera of it, and you know what makes it a year long sport. That's exactly right. I'm. I, we need we need some vitriol, and that's what everyone, all these old heads, and everyone's clamoring about. They're always just like, "Oh, these guys are too buddy buddy." But now, when John Morant sticks up for his teammate, it's well, why's John Morant talking? Ooh, yeah, that's a good point. I just feel like I understand his perspective. Look, I I have no issues with what Clay did. I don't I don't have any issues with what Draymond did, but yeah. It's, it's awesome. Good. It's all in good fun. It gives, you know, more eyeballs to the league and gives people something to talk about. I mean, the TV anchors need something to talk about, right? So if they're going to make something out of this, fine, so be it. You know, especially in the NBA, they don't want to talk about actual basketball. They no. want to talk about the drama. Exactly. And I mean, I think a lot of them are probably more in tune with that than they're probably not spending, you know, up till 10, 11, 1 in the morning, you know, watching some overseas tape. They leave that to us poor folks. Hey, I greatly appreciate what the effort that you put into your draft evaluations. That's exactly why we have, have you on. And as a matter of fact, we interviewed a host of the Noble and Roosh show 
Zach Noble. I got two Zachs mm. on. You're my second Zach with a K. Nice. So, so if if the, the timing had aligned, I obviously would have had you on as well. But we're double dipping here. It's going to be a beefy episode. And I'm glad we have you on here, Zach, nice. because I want to get into the draft and I want to get your perspective, your thoughts. Let's first take a step back and start with your evaluation process. I feel like a lot of people, like your Sam Vicini's. Um, you got your uh, Jonathan Givenies, who has propelled his work into a front office role now. Good for him. But Zach, what is your draft evaluation process like? Take us through the nitty gritty of what you did to uh, publish that article, which, by the way, if you haven't read it, it's on Substack. It's on your Twitter. Tell us what that process was like. Yeah. So this is probably one of the first years I'd say or last year where I really like put a big board together for the first time, really like looked into the tape, you know, real started studying maybe more than a few weeks before the draft, kind of, you know, like more casual fans or folks who are waiting until the games are over. Um, so I, this year really kind of, I tracked it a little bit throughout the season, a lot of super awesome draft content creators out there. Uh, I've just give a shout out to a few of them that were a huge resource uh, the No Ceilings crew, all those guys put out fantastic content. Uh, there's several like go-to places I go for videos, for film breakdowns. Um, uh, Hoop Intellect is one of the better ones. Boxing One, uh, and No Ceilings, and then Basketball News. They kind of all have some really good video breakdowns. Like a good, concise... Like you can get a, a pretty good idea of a prospect kind of by checking out what they are able to put together in a 10 to 15 minute clip. Um, but so I'll, yeah, I'll watch the video. I try not to like read too much on guys before getting my own eyeballs on them to kind of see, you know, am I totally off base? Is there something that I'm really missing? Uh, but I like to look at Bart Torvik kind of gives me a good idea of some of their strengths and weaknesses obviously just like general stats as well, the measurables, that kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of piecing all of that together uh, kind of is my evaluation process. Definitely not like as deep as some guys, but uh, I certainly get eyeballs a few times on, on all the players. And I'd say this year in particular, so the Grizzlies have picked 22 and 29. So those are later in the draft. So I kind of enjoyed – maybe trying to find those hidden gym type players more so than spending a lot of time at the top with your Chets, Jabari's, Palos, where like everyone's talking about them, right? You know, debating who goes one through four, but didn't spend as much time on that just because that was not necessarily like impacting my viewing experience for the next, you know, however many years. So let's start there. Let's start with the Grizzlies because like we had mentioned, they had an awesome season. They have a foundation for sure. They have a superstar in John Morant. They have good role players in Dylan Brooks and, and Desmond Bain and even Jaron Jackson, who is somewhere in between, you would say a role player and, and not a superstar, but a really solid player. Yeah. Who are you eyeing in that, in those twenties, who are you looking to take if you're uh, your boy climbing there, who I think won executive of the year, right? Yep. yep. Well-deserved. So he knows what he's doing or do you want to package it? What are you looking there with those two picks? I would just based on past history, be pretty surprised if Memphis stays put. I feel like they'll, they'll do something to try to move up in the draft. I would, I would think probably in the teens, 
maybe even higher, uh, depending on, you know, different things have been thrown out there with, we've been involved with Sacramento, uh, looking to move way up in the draft, uh, or even like Washington, New York, one of those type of teams. Uh, but I think that for the Grizzlies, just another someone who can create or like score a consistent score is going to be pretty huge for us. And then, so I, I think someone kind of a versatile guy that when it comes around to playoff time, you, someone who's like a PJ Tucker, Grant Williams, who all, it seems like they, they win you a game in a playoff series just by doing some of the under the radar stuff. They have a random hot night. They play tough defense on people. So a guy that comes to mind for that is EJ Liddell out of Ohio State. This is a guy who's consistently improved each year. Pretty good shooter, built like a tank, you know, protects the rim. Just kind of a kind of a pretty interesting uh, guy that I think that's like when I first started looking, as soon as I watched some tape on him, I was like, this would probably be a good fit. Uh, not super ball dominant, but, you know, consistent shooter from three uh, could really help out, which – I mean, we have Bain, who's an awesome shooter, but uh, a lot of, you know, the other players are a little less consistent in that area. EJ Liddell is a fascinating prospect. And I always, I, when I when I try and talk to people who don't necessarily follow the NBA or college basketball as much as you and I do, it's always difficult to convey, right, where these players are being scouted or slotted. Because right now, in a lot of mocks, his teammate Malachi Branham is looking at lottery slot. Mm-hmm. But when you talk in college basketball circles during the season, EJ Liddell was up there for national player of the year. Right. Potentially. He was incredibly uh, impactful for the Buckeyes. And it's, it's tough to convey that like, yeah, EJ Liddell was uh, considered one of the best players in college, but somehow Malachi Branham, Branham is, is being looked at as a better prospect. But EJ Liddell, the first thing that comes to my mind, is his mid-range game is so lethal. And I think everyone needs to fall in love with shooters. That's how you win in this league these days, in my opinion. Is that the first thing that jumped out to you was his mid-range game, or was there any other facet of his game that jumped out? I really – so, I mean, he's an older prospect, which I would – I think that if, say, Memphis keeps both their picks, they probably go with an older prospect with one of them. Surprised everyone last year kind of jumping up and going for a big question mark and Zaire Williams, who was pretty, it was pretty rough to start the season, but I mean, he actually looks like he's going to be a pretty decent contributing player. So that's, that's exciting, but I don't think there's anything wrong with taking an older guy. We did it with, with Bain, with Brooks. I would not be surprised, especially because I feel like we're closer or maybe, I mean, we're almost in Morant's prime, even if it's super young. And this this championship window, we just need people that can contribute right away. So I think that that's kind of a place where he's got that experience. Each year he got a little bit better, and kind of something that I've noticed in like obviously on the outside we don't have all the information, we don't have the the interviews, the you know the character reports on people, but that the you can't just look on paper to see who's going to be a good fit. It comes down to a lot of other stuff. Are they going to work in the gym? Are they a good teammate? That kind of stuff. Yeah. Like on the outside, we don't have that information, but 
I kind of think of it as like, you know, interviewing for a job. Someone could have an incredible resume, but if they're a total asshole or they're really lazy, then they're not going to fit on your team. So kind of picking out those guys, uh, really like doing your homework there, like with the, as a front office can really pay dividends. Well, and I think EJ Liddell, one thing he has over some of these other players, and I don't know if he necessarily wants to wear it as a badge of honor, but he's faced some serious adversity in the sense that they lost to Oral Roberts, one of the more shocking upsets in recent yeah. memory when they were the two seed. And a lot of people were picking them to go to the final four and they got upset in the first round. And he obviously had to deal with a ton of vitriol from Buckeyes fans. And he came back and they had, they had a great year. They smothered Loyola Chicago. They had Villanova on the ropes in the tournament. So I, I do like EJ Liddell. He's a very solid player. I want to get to your thoughts, though, now on some of the international guys. And we talked a little bit about this with Zach Noble. I mean, the game at this point, some of the best players in the world are yeah. from international countries. Giannis, Jokic, Luka, even looking at Canada, Andrew Wiggins yeah. played a pivotal role in the title. We talked a little bit about SGA, who I think is the best asset in like the lottery right now. Who are some international guys that you're really looking at? Yeah. So I when you um when you think international, so obviously colleges pull from all over the world, but when I think international, I'm thinking guys that didn't necessarily go to college in the US. So like they're playing overseas somewhere in a pro league or something like that. Um, but some of the guys that uh, kind of jumped out at me that I think you'll see probably in the first round, uh, Nikola Jovic, uh, Usmani Dang. I think those are probably – they're pretty highly talked about guys. Um, uh, Dang is an 18-year-old out of France. Um, he's a point forward, so he's a, he's a good passer, kind of like – it may be a lazy, but a lot of these international guys who are really ball dominant and have that creative passing ability remind me a lot of Josh Giddy, kind of the, especially some of the taller guys and just the way that they move the ball, the way they're able to find those pocket passes, those over the shoulder, that kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of a uh, one of parts of his upside, I would say. Um, so a pretty interesting guy. Uh, big question mark for him is just kind of going to be shooting. It wasn't a great shooter. Uh, and he played uh, down in the, um, he played for the Breakers, which uh, down in Australia, no, sorry, New Zealand. Yeah. And they were pretty, they were pretty trash this year. They were, it was like their worst season ever or something like that. So it wasn't a great situation for a 17 year old kid to be in. But I think we've seen where a lot of those guys, whether they've gone through Ignite or from New Zealand, um, have, you know, having that, experience playing against the older guys really physical has paid dividends for them once they reach into their 20s a little bit what about what about this uh dyson daniels prospect here because i think he's the highest rated international prospect in terms of mock drafts right i mean mm -hmm. i'm looking at the top 10 and it's funny because last couple of years i feel like we've had two or three guys in the lottery from international uh or from out, out of the states and I feel like Dyson Daniels is the one that's really leading the charge here. Have you got much footage on him? Yeah, he's um, he, he's definitely kind of all over the place on people's mocks. So he didn't really he's kind of, he's a combo guard, good height, six seven, good size, two hundred pounds, kind of 
you know, even counting numbers across the board, about six boards and four assists. Uh, he led the G League Ignite team in assists. I think passing is probably his strength on offense because he was pretty it's pretty rough from three, sub 30% from three-point range. Um, but his shot doesn't look that bad, and it's kind of hard to tell in that environment because there's a lot of kids who are trying to be alphas, I think, when you in that G League program in particular. So kind of where everyone fits in could be kind of a cluster uh, at times. Uh, he's he's not super fast or super quick, but he does use his body well to to shield the ball. So he he does use the tools that he's given. Uh, and yeah, good passer, good length as well. So if his defense and his shooting pick up, he could really be a very intriguing prospect. The beauty of having you on now is so that I can get a second opinion really it's almost like going to the doctor right you gotta you, you have a you have a diagnosis and you're like shit i need a second opinion on this and there's three guys i need your opinion on okay to sort of i don't know maybe maybe say to myself all right take a step back maybe you're not looking at the right things keegan murray i'm going to start with him i don't buy keegan murray mm. and it's because I mean, look, the, the advanced metrics for him are off the charts. He's, he fills that. But I just feel like the pace of play is going to be too much for him. I, I question his speed. And I don't know if I necessarily – I don't know if I necessarily saw – he didn't necessarily wow me at Iowa. And that could be because of the system they were playing. They had a lot of le- veteran leadership. He was, you know, he was behind a Luka Garza – even a Jordan Bohannon who has put his, his mark on, on that program. Tell me why I'm wrong. Or is, is there a way that you can sell me on Keegan Murray? Uh, unless you're in the same boat as me. No, I, I think pretty highly of Murray. So I've got him five uh, on my board. And you mentioned some of the advanced stats. So his PER in college was 37.8, which is just, I, I, it was either one or two, something like that. Just super up there. Uh, and there, but there is kind of, I don't know. This it's not like a comp or anything, but going back to like I don't know, say Adam Morrison, great college player, but then get to the league and it's like, I mean, you know, just fall off the face of the earth. Or you got someone like you mentioned Garza, who excellent college player, but like where is his role once you get into the NBA? Uh, but I think that Murray just does so many things. He's not like a blow your socks off guy. Definitely not. But I think that he's a contributor. Like he'll be able to come onto a roster and be able to contribute from day one, kind of as an older guy. He's efficient. He's probably not going to need the ball a ton. You'll just be able to kind of fit him in to whatever roster that you need. So I think that's kind of where, um, where the benefit of having a guy like him is. What about Jeremy Sohan and AJ Griffin? Because again, I, I, in speaking with Zach Noble, I said the the source or the root of my apprehension with these guys is where they're slotted. Of course, they're really, really good ball players, and they mm-hmm. deserve to play at the next level. But in where I see them being slotted, I don't necessarily know if that equates to uh, these high picks. I mean, I'm seeing Jeremy Sohan at like oh, yeah. 10 to 14 range, and he's a wonderful defender, great rebounder. I don't know if he can give me much else. And the thing with AJ Griffin for me is that I thought 
we he kind of disappeared uh, in that in their awesome run to the Final Four. I even thought guys like Trevor Keels and Wendell Moore, and of course Bancaro was the was the spearhead. Even a guy like Mark Williams, I kind of thought that AJ Griffin didn't necessarily stamp himself. So those are two guys. One, I want to get your thoughts on Sohan and Griffin. Yeah, I think me personally, from what I've seen, I'm probably lower on Sohan than a lot of people. A lot to what you mentioned. So, you know, great athlete, can score in the dunker spot, but most of his buckets are gonna are coming off assists. He, I mean, his shooting is pretty pretty rough. Under sixty percent from the line, under thirty from three. There's just not a whole lot to be excited by there. Uh, I mean, two stocks per game, and he didn't play a ton of minutes, 25 per game. Okay, passer. I, I'm just not as on board as everyone else is, I guess, and enamored with his you know, size and quickness. I think that you can, I don't know, probably find some other players who have more, maybe not that ceiling defensively, but – offensively can contribute much more. Yeah, that's that's the biggest concern for me with Sohan is the offensive con- contributions and I think yeah. Just in looking at the league like like I I mean you need you need these role players but do I want to spend a 10 to 14 pick on a role player? That's where I'm coming from. Yeah. So, he's interesting. What about AJ Griffin? Do you have any any thoughts on him? Yeah, I actually got him pretty high. I'm got him at sixth right now. Pretty much like from he's a knockdown shooter. So I think that if you put a knockdown shooter on any roster in the NBA, there's gonna be some minutes for him. And he's almost the inverse of where defense is his uh big weakness. Kind of loses uh attention like his attention span for it sometimes isn't great. Obviously he's had some injury issues and he was not always, and you even alluded to, like not always one of the more dominant guys on that roster. Granted, it's a roster with like six guys going pro or whatever it is. Um, but he, uh, like his ability to score at all three levels is intriguing. Seven-foot wingspan, and he's also still 18 years old. So I think that's a more of like a high upside pick um, for, for him. 44% from three, almost 80% from free throw, which that 80%, um, I was reading somewhere and it's kind of been a rule I've been using is that like a lot of times you hear you're a good free throw shooter or they're, they're a good free throw shooter. Everything else will come along. Well, 80% is kind of that line of demarcation the, that I've found where people actually do produce higher once they hit that. So he's kind of like right on that border. Do you think he could be a better shooting big than Jabari? I don't know. I think Jabari with his, I mean, he's got a couple more inches on him, uh, but Griffin still has a really long, he's plus six inch wingspan. Uh, so it, there's a potential there. I would say I wouldn't be surprised, you know, to look up kind of that, that, um, that first like eight people range, eight pick range is going to be kind of tough. I wouldn't be surprised if any of them end up being better than the others, honestly. Yeah. I feel like it is kind of a crapshoot after 10. You never yeah. know what, what happens, but so those are two guys that and I appreciate that second consultation. I needed that. It's going to be, <laughs> look, I'm, I, I'm one of those guys, man, where I'll give you a couple years. Okay. I'm not going to sit here after one summer league game and say, oh, suck. Yeah. I hate that, man. We actually discussed that also. Do you remember the Cade? 
conversations last year after a couple bad summer league games. Oh no. Is it like he's a bust or something? Oh God. It was infuriating. It was so ridiculous. And we knew what Cade Cunningham was capable of good alliteration there, especially at OK state had a little slow start to the year, but by the end of the year, you can make a serious case that he was rookie of the year. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing, you know, I'd love for those guys to prove me wrong. Sohan Griffin and, and Keegan Murray, but a lot of people are certainly high on them. Two guys that I'm very high on big men. And this is in your wheelhouse. Let's start with Jalen Duran. I love, I love the motor on Duran, man. I, in my mock, I actually had him at 10 um, because I just, the, the intensity, the passion, and his his strength around the around the hoop to me is just it I think it can translate well to the NBA. Am I wrong there? What are your thoughts on Duran? I, I think there's definitely I mean he's got a I mean he's ginormous. Like he's just a about as big of a person as it gets. Hyper athlete, great shot blocker. I I'd be hard to Is he a BAM? Is is am I crazy in thinking he could be a BAM type of player? I think, I mean, Bam's, Duran did show some flashes with passing. I, I mean, honestly, if you listen to anyone or read anything, the Memphis offense was pretty much a wreck at times. And Duran didn't get the ball. And he's playing in the American where, like, the centers are 6'5". And that was an exploit. So it's kind of didn't do him justice. Uh, but he's just an incredible rebounder. Uh some of his shooting was pretty good. Like there was occasions where he'd hit a shot and you'd be like, Oh, okay. Is this like a little step back or something? You're like, is this what he can actually do? Because he doesn't look like a guy who's going to be able to do that. Uh, But I, I would see that like if he gets put with the right team, I mean, the development these days is crazy with what they're able to do with guys. So I think that's a huge part of it. Um, One thing. So I want to ask you about Mark Williams. I remember the first time I watched him because I, I really wasn't keeping too many tabs on him at that up into that point. But he was one of those guys where, like, I think I was watching Duke to get some eyes on Ben Caro. And I'm like, well, damn, who's this guy? Like, wh- what is this guy about? He's like, he's huge. He's impacting the game. Crazy shot blocker. I was, I was like, wow, this guy, uh, how come I haven't heard his name before? It, now he is up there on a lot of mocks. Uh, some even have him above Duran, which I, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if he was taken before Duran, just because he seems more of a established, you know what his role is going to be, you know, immediate day one contributor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what are your thoughts on Mark Williams? If someone were to ask me, who's the one player you love that people aren't clamoring about? It is Mark Williams, man. He was so much fun to watch and, and, Again, these comps, right, you're kind of forced to make them. And I'm not by any stretch of the imagination saying that he is Robert Williams, but he reminds me a little bit of Rob Rob Williams, okay? His his ability to protect the rim, he was blocking so many shots. He's not, I mean, he's not a, a Walker Kessler who I think led the nation in blocks, mm-hmm. but Mark Williams is a great rim protector and he's a great lob threat. Uh, when, when you, if you're able to pair him with a couple guards who can penetrate and then just throw it up to the sky, Mark Williams can come down and throw it down. I I've, I've said this, this is one thing that got lost in that Titanic matchup between UNC and, and Duke in the final four people forget Mark Williams gotten 
to some serious foul trouble. I don't know if that's necessarily a bugaboo on him, but if he plays, if he's clear of foul trouble, I think Duke wins that game because he can own the paint. Armando Baycott's a terrific player, and they that, that would have been a battle. But Mark Williams is such an impactful player for Duke, and I think he can be an impactful player at the next level. Like I said, his presence around the rim, I think, will alter a lot of shots, and he's going to anchor the line defensively. And you can get maybe six to eight points that that could help you put put push you over the top in a in a close game. So I really really love Mark Williams and like I said, I mean him and Duran are two of my favorite favorite bigs and I think Mark Williams he's like 7 feet, right? Um now that's not exactly what you want offensively maybe. I mean and a lot of people are saying, well, the big man's gone, but I would argue like he's not Giannis, he's not Jokic, he doesn't have that touch or anything like that. Yep. But we saw how valuable Rob Williams was. And I think Mark Williams can potentially, uh, I mean, they share the last, same last name. I'll start there, but they, he could, he could potentially be a serious contributor there. Oh, I agree. And especially in a 82 game season, even if there's a playoff matchup where you can't use him, I don't think there's anything to like shake your, shake your head about having a guy who can anchor a deep. I mean, let's look at Rudy Gobert, right? Like he, he helps Utah win a ton of games during the regular season and that, that is important. You got to find a way to win in the playoffs. That's kind of a different story, but um, yeah, there, there's a place for Mark Williams in the NBA for sure. Any guess on how many dunks that he had this year? Oh man, that's a good question. I don't know. I'll say, I'll say 65, 96, dunks. 96. You know, I was close to going a hundred, but. <laughs> I was I was thinking to myself like, I mean it's a shortened season because I always base it off of what NBA guys are right like, and I mm. try and say okay it's less play it's less games, but yeah I mean ninety six this is what I'm saying man just get him get it get him the Nasty. ball above the rim he can he can he'll flush it yeah another interesting thing is he has a one inch shy of having a ten foot standing reach so I mean just any jump at all and he can just swat everything. He's he's going to be a difference maker and yeah. he's a very quiet kid. Obviously, we had mentioned all you mentioned all the stars that Duke produces and he was one of he was one of their consistent guys. I think him and Bancaro were the consistent players mm-hmm. for, for Duke. So, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch, but I'm glad we we covered him. Here's another yeah. guy I want to talk about, Zach. Every year it seems as if there's a stud coming out of high school, okay? And then after a year of playing college ball, no matter where they go, small school in this particular case, this guy went to a small school to play with mm-hmm. his dad. Yep. We kind of lose sight of them and they slip a little bit based off of their projections coming out of high school. Now that's not to say that his career is defined or anything like that, but Patrick Baldwin Jr. Were you able to see him at all like from high school and then compare what happened to him at Milwaukee, is there a reason for his fall, or was he this coming out of high school? I mean, give me give me your thoughts on Patrick Baldwin Jr. Yeah, he's another one that, like, once I started watching, I'm I'm thinking to myself, this guy looks like an NBA player. Well, what some unfortunate things is that he didn't measure well at the combine with athleticism and on some of those drills, which is kind of concerning. And I mean, his year at Wisconsin was pretty rough. 
I mean, he was shot 26% from three, and that's he's going to be a three-point, like a long three-point shooter, kind of like a Michael Porter Jr., I think, uh, in the NBA. The only thing I can say is, I mean, he got hurt pretty early in the season. He only ended up playing 11 games, and I got to assume he was the best player on that team, so everyone was 100% game planning for him, and he probably didn't have a whole lot to work with on the rest of the roster. You can correct me if I'm wrong there, but just kind of some of the small school vibes. That's what I would have to assume. So I don't think we really, and it's hard to tell how into it was he, because it kind of seems on defense, he kind of got lost a little bit. Yeah. Maybe effort wasn't all there. So you wonder, is that going to be a long term? That's who he is, or it was based on the situation. Cause I think of like Anthony Edwards. So at Georgia, I got to see him play uh, at the Forum in Memphis, and like Lester Quinones just shut him down. Who? Shout out Lester, working out for every team in the United States and Europe, trying to get a contract somewhere. Uh, but uh, he's obviously like a very good athlete, excellent NBA player, but he just wasn't into it at that point. Like he didn't, it didn't look like he cared that much, and. He cares now and he's incredible. So is that, you know, could that be the case here or could it be the inverse where that's like, he just doesn't have it. I, tough to say. Yeah. No, I think that's actually a pretty good comp. And I think that goes back to your point of sort of treating it like a real job interview almost. Cause I'm sure Patrick Baldwin jr. Got some of those questions during the process. Yeah. Uh, but he's, you know, I, he's a name where, you know, you look at, the, the mocks and you say to yourself a year ago, I remember the hype this kid was getting and you know what? Yeah. He might, he might still reach it in the NBA, but a lot of the guys um, have certainly surpassed him, I guess, in a lot of front offices eyes. So I'm interested to see how Patrick Baldwin jr. Does and, and where he ends up. But to me, Zach, the most intriguing prospect in this entire draft is Shaden sharp. Okay. I joked I joked a little bit about it with Noble how people will try and say look I mean uh, this and that about Shaden Sharp and they 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 break down his game and I'm over here sitting like we didn't we haven't seen How do you know that? <laughs> like what the hell are you talking? Yeah. It's okay to not know. And I'm not saying Shaden Sharp's not going to be good. And I'm not saying that this year off is detrimental to him. But I just don't know what I'm getting with Shaden Sharp good or bad. What I mean, what film were you even able to accumulate on this guy? Oh, yeah. It was really hard for me to, I don't know, buy into the hype or get really into it just because the competition is so, I mean, just, it, a lot of it's not impressive, like just from his straight-up high school. I mean, the EYBL has got good players, but like some of his high school tape, just some of the guys he's playing against just, you know, didn't look that imposing. Obviously, he's got hyper athleticism, can score from all over the court. But, but yeah, like you said, we we just don't really know. It's hard for me, just knowing that there's some pretty solid dudes out there to say, yeah, I'm gonna. Especially if I'm one of those top teams, yeah, I'm gonna take that that risk on this guy. It's it's a super huge game gamble, I would say. Where do you have him in your mind? I've got him at tenth, which I think, yeah is like most people he's at least like seventh or lower higher based on just hype alone. 
Uh, but for me, it's personally, it's just kind of hard for me to do that. I, I like I too many like data and if not having the data really bothers me. Yeah, no, I hear you. I just want to see him play, man. I was so excited yeah. to see him hopefully suit up for Kentucky. And then obviously whatever happened happened. And, you know, I think it's absurd, just crazy fans. And I don't know if there's crazier fans in Kentucky, but he got a lot of shit for, for not suiting up. Yeah. Uh, but, but he's obviously, uh, he's going to be in, in the NBA. It's got, it's going to be a lot of fun watching him grow and develop and see how that year off essentially impacts him for the good or the bad. I am curious to know when we were doing a bit of texting prior to this, and you even brought it up actually earlier on in the show, some of the second round guys, or maybe the late first round guys, you look at a guy like Jordan Poole, who you guys had mentioned it. You said he's an all-time front runner, and I could not agree anymore. He, but look, I, I got to take my medicine. He hit some back-breaking threes, some crazy momentum-shifting bank off the glass nonsense that just made me throw my phone up in the air and you do yeah. a little bit of a redraft from three years ago. Jordan Poole's probably a top five pick. Okay. But I think he, he got chosen 28th and that's a credit to Bob Myers and what the Warriors do and, and, and what Steve Kerr does and, and the development, right? Who are some guys? And I call these guys, the Taco Bell commercial guys. Okay. Because it harkens back to the Jokic draft pick when, if you really think about it, how outrageous and absurd it was that an all-time great center, one of the 75 greatest players ever, <laughs> was drafted during a goddamn Taco Bell commercial. I'm not asking you to name a guy that will be or ascend to a Jokic level, a two-time MVP. Who's a guy that could potentially be a Jordan Poole and impact right away for a winner? So I would say... Uh... And in some of my group chats, I've been probably annoying everyone on this guy, but Justin Lewis out of Marquette. So he's a freshman forward, 6'7". He's got huge hands, man. He's got Kawhi-sized hands. Hands uh, seem to be the one commonality between, like, draft prep between the NFL and also the NBA. These people but, love hands. Yeah, over seven-foot wingspan. Uh, he really played well at the Combine. So he's, he's just an athlete. So feels like um like I don't know what his defined role is gonna be. A guy like Kuminga, Scotty Barnes, they have a lot of tools. He's not as good as those guys, but kind of last year looking at it, I'm like, what do they necessarily do? But you know, they improved in a couple areas. They already had a lot of the baseline tools available, the physicality, just physical specimens. Uh and they're able to I mean Kuminga got some run in the playoffs even. Uh, not, I don't think as much towards the end, but he started a game or two against Memphis, you know, when they were Gary Payton's out and they're kind of shuffling around with injuries, you know, got some run there. Uh, and he, guy's a decent shooter, 35% from three, uh, likes to take kind of some risks on defense, but with his athleticism, he's gotten away with it so far, probably needs to rein that in a little bit. Uh, but he's definitely a guy that I think I've seen in most – mostly in the second round, but I've got him at like 25. If Memphis got someone like him, I'd be freaking thrilled uh, for sure. Uh, and another guy that you mentioned, or we talked about international, and I didn't mention this guy, uh, Gabriel Prochita. So he's a 19-year-old uh, from overseas. Not a ton 
uh, of minutes per game, but pretty athletic dude. Um, six seven wing can score, um, rebound pretty good, catch and shooting. He's a total machine, and he did really well in the combine as well, uh, which I kind of used. I enjoyed kind of looking at the combine after it was over, seeing who who ended up playing well, especially among you know kind of their peers, you would say, and then who just totally tanked it. I don't take too many of the like drill workouts serious because I've seen Chandler Parsons shoot eighty thousand threes and make them in a row on his Instagram feed, and then just be total trash or not even playing a game. So I don't take much stock uh, in those kind of workouts, but some of the scrimmages I think can be kind of, kind of telling. So who do you have Lewis going to at 25? I'm just trying to think of where he might fit in and that team potentially making a run. So I haven't actually done uh, like a team fit mock. Mostly okay. I've just done a, a big board ranking the players. Yeah. Well, who's, who's, who's picking at 25? Do we have that? Uh, that's a good question. I should have that. I should have that actually up. Hang on. Picking at 25 are the Spurs classic. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> Although, you know what? I, I, I got to I gotta rein this in a little bit because we've been saying that about the Spurs now for the past maybe four years, and they kind of stink. All right? <laughs> I'm here to say that right now. Kel- Keldon Johnson's a nice player. They got rid of Derek White, who was a pretty solid player for the Celtics. Mm-hmm. And I mean, great defensive player. I don't know exactly what happened there with, with pop and white, but I mean, Lonnie, Lonnie, uh, Walker, he's been fine, but these, I mean, DeJounte obviously is a really good player, but it's not necessarily equating to wins. Right. And so, uh, I feel like we've been saying that quite a bit for the Spurs and obviously pops resume is beyond reproach. You don't need to say uh, how great he really is, but recently it's gotten a little stale. So I don't know if I'm necessarily ready to say, Oh, it's Spurs being the Spurs because the West has surpassed them really. Yeah. I mean, you could say that, I mean, a lot of guys are, or a lot of teams are able to develop their talent better. Now. I don't think the Spurs are necessarily in a, in a tier of their own, like they have been for, I don't know what the last few decades or whatever. I think you got to give, the Warriors, the best talent development yeah. in the league, right? Yeah. I mean, they I think def- that's outside of Wiggins. I think all of their major contributors are driving. Even a guy like Kayvon Looney. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy what those guys do. But, yeah, so I, I, it, obviously, Pop, I'm not going to question his coaching ability. But if he does go to the Spurs, it is it does seem like a solid fit there. Uh, for what they're looking to do, because I, I, I feel like we're never, ever going to see the Spurs under Pop's tutelage. And I think he said this before, tank or just give up. They'd rather go and win 37 games than yeah. like 15 or 20. He's too old for that shit, for that rebuilding. He doesn't want to do that. That's right. That's I can't right. say That's... I blame him too much. No, and, and he's he's too proud. He's too, yeah. way too proud. So, yeah, Justin Lewis is an interesting prospect. I'm glad you brought him up because a lot of people forgot how great Marquette really was to start the season. They were kind of a buzzsaw. They were probably the best team in the Big East in the months of like November and December, and it's obviously how you finish, not how you start. But they were a top-10 team for a yeah. little bit, and Justin Lewis was a key cog in in why that was. Um, 
Another you, great – go ahead. What do you think about um, – so you, you asked about guys who can kind of immediately contribute to a team. Out of Kansas, Christian Brown. Like, what are your what are your thoughts on him? I love Christian Brown. I loved him at Kansas. Last draft I saw or mock I saw him was going to the Heat, and I think that would be oh, great. Now they they yeah. have a great development. I mean, Pat Riley, obviously Eric Spolster. They're they're an amazing run franchise. But Christian Brown, I think, can be a guy that can get some run here and there. Obviously, would be coming off the bench. Maybe give him like 10, 15 minutes in a game. And he's just, he could be an explosive type of character. And when you think of Christian Brown, you think of a guy that brings attitude and energy every single night. Um, I think he led the country in the amount of times he said, bitch, and it was caught on (laughs) camera at Kansas. I'm telling you, man, you can't go, uh, you cannot go a highlight without seeing him thumping his chest and saying, bitch, but I love Christian Brown. I think he's a dog defensively and I think he would fit. He's definitely one of those guys where it, it he needs a role on a, on a mm. good team. That's where we saw him at Kansas. Obviously he, he wasn't the best player on Kansas. Ochai was, but Christian Brown can, it certainly has a place in the NBA and Christian Brown's a guy in eight years, eight, nine years. I think of him and Dalen Terry, eight, nine years. You're like, damn, this guy's still in the league, but they are contributors and they're going to do just enough and have a great enough locker room presence where I think they're going to stick around and make a formidable career for themselves. So I do love Christian Brown and that's just coming from a college perspective because he was just so much fun to watch. He hit so many big shots for Kansas. Well, dude is very athletic too. I didn't realize that until kind of watching some more. He's had a 40 inch vert at the combine, like crazy way more athletic than he looks. He looks just like average dude, but that might be some coded racism from you there, Zach, man. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, he's, he's very athletic. He can slash to the rim. Uh, He can shoot it at a, at a reasonable clip. Uh, And you know what? He's been, he's been part of a winning culture, obviously. And I think that matters as well, especially when you go to a team like the heat who they don't tank either. They're just, they're just, they, they go to win. Eastern Conference Finals every single time. So Christian Brown's got to be a lot of fun for sure. Another great part about draft night are the trades. Of course, we've analyzed and you've been looking at a lot of players, but the trades on draft night is something that we all get very excited for because not only does it sort of combine these young, fruitful, futuristic plans with who you're drafting, but it also includes these seasoned vets, right? These guys that have been in the league long enough. And you're basically saying, I'm banking on the young gun here, whoever we take any big trades that you foresee happening on draft night. I'm talking trades that move the needle. Well, obviously Oklahoma city is going to trade back for eight more first round picks out of number two. I'm just kidding. Uh, Stockpiling. (laughs) stockpiling man <laughs> i i think you know some teams likely to make a move out could be kings looking for someone who can immediately contribute seeing if they can trade i mean they they made a pretty big move last year for you know getting rid of halliburton bringing in sabonis so they're i mean, i never know what they're thinking necessarily because it doesn't all like piece together or seem cohesive but i could see them being someone who is content moving back for um, the ability to get like an 
you know, a high caliber player or something like that who think can, they think can get them to the playoffs finally. Um, or maybe, you know, a team like New Orleans could make another move. Uh, we Memphis did deal with them last year. Uh, but they they got a, you know, a pretty good roster. So I could see them, you know, either staying oh, got, put, adding another guy. coming back too. So they say. <laughs> well, did you see the picture of him today? No, we got a good. He's picture. looking shredded. He's looking shredded, what? man. Yeah, I know Uh-oh. the weight fluctuation. Uh oh, he's he's under three hundred now. I mean, he looks shredded, man. I gotta say. I mean, I I hope he comes back. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd be it's just much more fun instead of having to like pan to him every game that ESPN has when they are hoping that he's playing, and we just have to talk about him. Like, I'd just rather watch him play basketball. I think. <laughs> Got the Pelicans pushing the the defending Western Conference champ Suns to six games. We're yeah. talking about Zion. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, and then like there's a lot of chatter about you know Washington and New York kind of trying to do the same thing. I, I'd be surprised if you know Orlando through Houston is one through three. I wouldn't really see them doing anything uh, unless you know maybe Houston has their heart set on someone. And they're, you know, one of the three big guys and they really want to get them. So they'd move up similar to the Luca, the Dallas and Atlanta trade uh, a couple years ago. I could see maybe that happening. We're lucky to root for teams that aren't necessarily in this position, that aren't always perpetually in the lottery. Is there a team that is under most pressure? in the top 10, Zach, is there a team that is under most pressure to finally kick the stigma of being in the lottery so often, right? We've seen the magic here before quite often. We've seen the thunder here in recent memory. And of course that's part of the rebuilding process, Mm -hmm. but these fans are antsy. And I always, I'm, I'm looking at the magic, right? Because if you look at the thunder, the Thunder, even with Chris Paul, made it to the second round pretty recently. Okay. We yeah. know about how great they were with KD, Harden, and Westbrook. So they've had recent success. And Sam Presti has been praised as one of the best GMs in in the NBA. Okay. The Rockets have had really good success recently. And of course, they're going through a rebuild. And it seems as if they have a really good base and plan in place. Shangun. Right. I know you, I, you love Shangun last year and he was good. Uh, Jalen Green showed some really awesome flashes. And if they get Bancaro, I think they could be one of the most fun teams to watch. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I necessarily feel for those fan bases because they know what they're in the middle of. Yeah. But I look at a team like the magic Zach, and I think the, the their most recent bit, taste of success is the play-in game where they got mopped or not, maybe not the play-in game, but the bubble where they got mopped up by the Bucks, And then the year prior, they got mopped up by the Raptors. And that's about it. Dating back to like the, the, the finals run with Dwight Howard and Hito and JJ Redick and those guys in 09. And it's just been kind of turmoil for the magic. Is there a team in the top 10 though, that has the most pressure to sort of, start winning games here and start competing for those play-in spots. I would say, yeah, Orlando definitely high on that list. Uh, out of the top 10, I think Sacramento kind of takes that for me of just they've lived, been one of those teams. It's not even mediocrity, honestly. It's just like it's it, it's tough. You know, I would say that Minnesota is kind of a team that has been on that mediocre line for such a long time, like 
almost in the playoffs, not bad enough to get like, you know, super high end in the lottery. Then they finally did it. And then now things turned around for them. They got a good roster, like a fun team, but like Sacramento, I don't know what they just haven't been able to do that. You know, they have a guy who's supposed to be there their corner piece and Fox, but he hadn't been able to take him there. You know, Bagley didn't pan out uh, for him. So I think that that's probably, you know, the team Detroit, they're still working their way up. You know, they, they've got a couple more years probably before they feel that pressure. Uh, New Orleans, you know, is moving that direction. Washington hasn't been mediocre necessarily, but they probably are feeling a lot of pressure with the Bradley Beal situation, trying to get some, you know, make it make a playoff push with him before, you know, he takes his talents elsewhere. Now, you know, someone like Oklahoma City, I think that they're probably their fans should probably be pretty happy with the trajectory uh, that they're on and the talent that they're going to be able to acquire pretty quickly uh, through these drafts for the next forty years or whatever they have picked for. <laughs> the only thing I would say about OKC, and I referenced this, I alluded to it, was that SGA is the best player on these lottery teams. Yeah. I think I really like I don't think, SGA. I mean, maybe Bradley Beal, but I'm talking top five, top six, mm-hmm. right? Maybe Dame Lillard and uh, Dame's Dame's better than SGA, obviously in Portland, but I mean, they, the Blazers were in the Western conference finals a couple of years back. And I think they, you know, with a healthy Dame, they can get back to being in playoff contention, but SGA is young. He's not in his thirties like Dame. And he's about to reach and enter his peak. So I'm wondering if there is added pressure, though, on the Thunder, despite the fact that they've had somewhat recent success of saying, OK, we got to get we got to get this guy some winners around him and start winning ball games because SGA has had a taste of success. Yeah. And now it's kind of been I mean, they've been terrible. Obviously, he I think he knows that. But at what point do you start to say, OK, I'm kind of fearful of this guy wanting the hell out? Yeah, it's definitely something to be concerned with because you can only lose for so long before that's just like you just become a lo- losers, I guess, for lack of a you know classier way to put it. And if you haven't been in that winning mindset at all, then it can definitely drain and on people. And I would, yeah, if I I could definitely see him in the next few years trying to move on to something. Of course, he'd be an incredibly valuable trade chip, and you know that could kind of maybe catapult something else. But I, yeah, it is kind of interesting. Will the next playoff version of the Thunder be with, you know, SGA? I don't know. I don't know if if that's where they're going to end up or not. Franchise altering decisions coming up on Thursday. I'm going to get you out of here on two quick hitters. First and foremost, who's the best player in this draft? So to me, I think guy I'm most excited about watching uh, is probably Paolo. Just kind of to see just so physically imposing a lot of offensive ability, you know, just a really fun player. Uh, so I think he could be, he could end up being the best player in the draft. I'm with you. I think if I were the magic, I would take Paolo number one because I'm just taking the best player available. And I think that is Bancaro and watching him. He led Duke to that final four. He was a supernova man. And his game is just so much fun because he can bully you, like you said, physical imposition. He can back you down. He can play back to the basket. But then his stroke and his smooth mid-range game, he can be a better shooter from three for sure. But I think he has all the intangibles of being a great offensive player 
And I think Paolo is going to be a, a, a knockout. I think he's going to be a home run for whoever takes him. And if it's Houston, they're going to have some serious, uh, they're, they're going to have some serious fun there in yeah. Houston, I think. I'm, I'm that, one guy that I could get punched in the face for it. It's not as high on as on Chet as uh, most of the rest of the world, but that's like a whole nother discussion probably. So I just wanted to throw that out there. No, I mean, that's, that's interesting. I do like Chet. I think he's, he's really good. Jay Billis actually said this the other day, everyone's calling Chet a unicorn. He's like, I've seen him and that's Ralph Sampson. And obviously Ralph Sampson is one of the greatest players, mm-hmm. but, and that's high praise for Chet. But I do think Chet has, I think he can he can play well, and I think this class, I think Bancaro and Chet, in my opinion, are the two most surefire. I got to see how Jabari fits in. I mean, he's he's a lot of fun to watch, and he can seeing a big man extend the floor like the way he does is is incredible. Yeah. But if you ask me, you know, who is going to be sh- the closest to surefire? I would say Paolo and Chet. Those are just my guys. Hey, I'm going to get you out of here on this last question. Is there going to be a ripple effect, do you think, on draft night with the quote-unquote impasse that Kyrie has had with the Brooklyn Nets? Shocking. I know. I know. Crazy. What, drama there? No way. I know. Wild. You know, it's so funny, actually, having gone through the Kyrie stuff. It's like it's been passed down. It's 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 a trickle-down effect, man. So I have good friends. You know this. I have, I have family from Mansfield, Ohio. They're huge Cavs fans. So when we trade for Kyrie, the Celtics, that is, they're like, be careful, man. Be careful. I'm like, shut up, shut up. We're fine. He's great. He's great. He's great. You know, they go to the Eastern Conference Finals without him. It's like, just wait for Kyrie to come back. And then the Bucks series happens. And I'm like, and then, of course, the whole fiasco. And then he goes to the Nets. And Celtics fans, despite being Atlantic Division rivals, are like, "Mm, just take it (laughs) easy. I'd watch out. And obviously, we've seen how that's played out thus far with obviously the the, the COVID wrench in the plans and just playing the way he's played. Uh, although he did have a pretty solid series against the Celtics. I, I won't knock him on that, but is there going to be a ripple effect with Kyrie? And also there's been a report that the Hornets are looking to trade Gordon Hayward and two first round picks. Do you see anything happening with the Nets or the Hornets? Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, Charlotte, they're in a big transition phase. So, you know, getting a new coach, whoever that may end up being. I don't think it's been <laughs> yeah. named yet, right? Or they they okay. had one. They had a- D'Antoni's uh, the front runner at this point, I think. Yeah. I think so, yeah. After the their other coach backed out. Um, you know, that they, they want to win. They want to, you know, do the best that they can with ball and kind of get the thing, get the ball rolling, if you will, on some Very playoff nice. pushes there. So, I would not be surprised to see a move there. Uh, and then, yeah, with Kyrie, I think that, you know, a lot of these teams need a point guard. I know that's, I think, the Knicks specifically, so they're looking for one. You know, there's obviously a lot of stuff that has to work out, uh, work itself out from salary cap standpoint and everything. But I would not be surprised to see some stuff shaken up, either draft night or the weeks following that. There's nothing like the NBA offseason, man. No, I never. It, sometimes it's almost as fun as the season. <laughs> now we sound like real ESPN <laughs> analysts. We should we should have our own talk show. Zach, thank you so much for jumping onto the program, sharing your insights. Like I said, you do marvelous work breaking down all the film. Tell them where we can read your uh, your article. Yep. So we got a 
moved our website over to uh, Substack. So it's the barnburner.substack.com. You can find me on Twitter at barnburnerbro. Terrific stuff. Thank you again, man. Hey, are you in a, are you enjoying this abs run? I know you're in Colorado. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm let's say the last two weeks I've been the biggest hockey guy. So <laughs> I, I made a promise to a coworker. I mean, a lot of people are big into hockey and he's like, are you watching? And I was like, I mean, I don't, I just don't watch hockey. I was like, I'll watch it. The abs get to the Stanley cup. And then he reminded me of that. And I don't even remember saying that, but apparently <laughs> it sounds like something I would say. So I've kept my word and I've watched all the, all three games so far. There you go. You may be able to celebrate a title. Uh, yeah. Even if it's not, even if it's not on the basketball court, man, they're up two yeah. one right now as we record this, Zach, thank you again so much for jumping on. We'll get you on again uh, very shortly. Enjoy the off season, enjoy the draft. And then, you know, we love summer league too. Summer league's right around the corner. So true. let's enjoy it, man. Thanks again. All right. want to thank, Barnburner bro, Zach, for coming on. Both Zachs, really. They were tremendous. It was a lot of fun talking shop with them, uh, getting excited for the NBA draft. But like I said, I'm, I'm going to need a, a, th- these next couple days to just really decompress, take my mind away from basketball because it has been a very long season. Before you know it, it's going to be summer league, and we're going to see silly takes when a guy drops five to seven points. I don't know, Jabari Smith. Chet Holmgren, Jeremy Sohan, Ochai. These guys may not have the greatest games ever in summer league, and we're going to get idiotic takes telling us that they're awful right off the bat. At least give it a couple years, people. That's all I got to say. So uh, we're going to get out of here, though, on some serious and somber hugs. We lost two great players from the college basketball world. Caleb Swanigan passed away. Um, Very sad, incredibly sad story because of just how, how, how fluctuating it was, right? Caleb Swanigan was amazing at Purdue. He was a really good player for the Portland trailblazers. And if you knew Swanigan, you knew his story overcoming so many odds and obstacles. And once he left the league, we don't necessarily know what happens, but it's just such a brutal story to read. And I think the, I need to catch myself because I'm only talking about his basketball prowess, but by all accounts, everyone said he was the nicest individual, kind, gentle giant in every single uh, respect. So rest in peace, Caleb Swanigan, uh, a serious, serious blow to the college basketball community, especially the Purdue Boilermaker community and just uh, really, really sad to read. But rest in peace, Caleb Swanigan. And then same goes for Darius Lee of Houston Baptist. Darius Lee uh, was killed in New York City. Um, Very sad, of course. And if you remember Darius Lee, he was an electric player for Houston Baptist. I think he dropped 52 last season in a wild game probably the game of the year if you actually watched it uh, from a competitive standpoint. But again, by all accounts, Darius Lee, just a very kind, warm, great individual. Um, So very sad to see these two incredibly young people with their whole lives ahead of them uh, taken 
And so I'd be remiss if I didn't give them a sincere and somber hug uh, for Caleb Swanigan and, of course, Darius Lee. But we are going to go get on out of here now. Uh, thank you again to the Zacks for breaking down some NBA coverage. Enjoy the draft on Thursday, and we'll catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.